You're listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning from 7.45 AM. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this. Good morning and welcome to you, OTB AM on this Friday morning. How's it going? Uh, Owen Sheehan is alongside me. Owen, how are you doing? A very good morning. Busy texting somebody? Or no, just sending a tweet promoting the, the show off my phone, which I'm sure is available on Twitter now. <laughs> a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Thanks very much. It's been a while. It has been. Did you enjoy your extended break? Um, I had an extended time out of the office, yeah. It didn't really feel so much like a, a break as such, but I wasn't here. Um, but I'm back, and I understand that the show was just cancelled in my absence, that you just felt that the quality couldn't be maintained, and so what was the point, really? <laughs> exactly. How did you find out? Well, it wasn't on when I tuned in. It's almost as if we're a front-facing company. <laughs> uh, life is good. Life is great. Can't complain. 2019 off to a great start. Really? Why? Yeah, just life in general. It's fantastic. Be, it? be more specific on our audience demands to know why life is so good in your world. Well, life isn't bad, is it? Is, is, They've like, got to know you over the last 18 months. They know what sort of makes you tick, what gets the blood boiling a little bit, you know, what makes you happy. So give them a little insight into <laughs> why life is yeah, so good. To be honest with you, I, I was kind of being a bit flippant, to be honest. If I was actually going to do a, a, it's not like taxi a, conversation a here, of this. It, well, it kind of feels like one, to be honest. Like this morning when I woke up and I saw that Andy Murray was going to, to leave our world, I'm not sure that that affects my life. I'm I not mean, sure. Andy Murray's not dying. Can we just put that on, on record straight off the Le- bat? Well, leaving the public consciousness as a professional sports person, uh, I'm not sure that that make me feel any worse. Did that actually hamper my good start to 2019? I, ju- I just feel pretty good. Is, is there anything wrong with that? No, I mean, I just wanted to know why. That is really it. Andy Murray is, um, in case people have sort of break, uh, breaking overnight, he's obviously getting set for uh, the Australian Open. And it seems like he it may well be his last match uh, in the next few days. He is struggling pretty badly with a hip injury. He was pretty emotional when he addressed the press yesterday. It's a clip that we might be able to bring you in just a moment's time. Um, but he's he says for the last 20 months he's been battling hard against this hip injury. It's caused him a lot of pain and ultimately he's going to succumb to it. He's going to try and get through the next few months and try and play uh, as far as Wimbledon and beyond if he can. Uh, but uh, breaking down at the press conference uh, yesterday saying that actually his last match may come in the last couple of days. Take a look. The pain is, is um, you know, is, is, is too much really. Yeah, it's not something that I want to... You know, I don't, I don't want to continue playing that way. You know, I spoke to my team and I, and I told them that, you know, I can't keep doing this. I said to my team, look, I think I can kind of get through this until until Wimbledon. That is where, where I would like to... That, that, that's where I would like to stop, um, stop playing. Yeah, he had to leave the press conference yesterday to go off and compose himself and then come back and give people the full detail as to what was going on. It wasn't something I was aware of, that uh, the severity of which was about to end his career, I have to say. Yeah, and getting to Wimbledon is an ambitious enough target by the sounds of that, isn't it? It doesn't actually sound like that's going to be something that's definite. When I saw the quotes this morning, it was like, Andy Murray to retire after Wimbledon. I'd be surprised if he made, makes it that far. But then again, he is somebody who has battled through many things in his life and has actually become accustomed to the idea of pain more than a lot of other tennis players and it's not easy to say that because when you read any tennis autobiography or you listen to anybody speak about their experiences in the professional game the relationship with pain is probably the most rela- the most important relationship they have as a professional tennis player but Andy Murray knows it better than most like Kevin Mitchell in the Guardian this morning kind of doing a retrospective on his career that the first time he came on the scene 
the first thing he remembers Andy Murray talking about is back pains. That, of course, he was he was a kid at the time. He says it's growing pains in the back, but they were particularly excruciating. And then this particular injury, which is one of a slew of injuries that he's had during his career, uh, has troubled him for quite some time. This right hip has been something that's brought Andy Murray down over the last couple of years, and you do have to say it has been a bit of a spiral downwards from the end of 2016. It's been a couple of tough, extremely tough years for him. Mm. And I guess when it comes to this sort of stuff, we're never quite sure what's going on. And when it's somebody like Andy Murray, particularly the way he's covered in the United Kingdom, there's always such a spotlight that every little bit of information that can be possibly got out of him has been published over the last couple of years. But I do think there was kind of an essence of... Kind of pulling the the cork off the top of the bottle there this morning, and he just let all the emotion come yeah, out. Yeah, it was. He had the context was that he had been uh, had a warm up match with Novak Djokovic and had to withdraw from that, and got there were photographs of that as well, and he looks uh, pretty upset, I suppose, on the court side afterwards. Um, and it may have been that some of that was kind of still bubbling under with him that he was still frustrated with that and maybe sort of said too much at some point or another. I don't know. Only time is going to tell. He, As you say, it may well be um, his opening round of the Australian Open against a pretty tough opponent as well um, may end up being his last. And I have to say, one of the thoughts that struck me this morning was that uh, I was kind of disappointed with myself that I hadn't appreciated Andy Murray a little bit earlier. I always sort of... Um, for a large part of his career, just saw him as this moany sort of, you know, the plucky underdog, bit of a, sorry, not a bit of a, a large sort of dour uh, Scott, and obviously the um, British uh, media sort of darling of times, and that's never going to endear itself to an Irish audience, obviously. But actually, he's really in a lot of ways none of those things. He's really sort of anti-drugs and not afraid to be kind of outspoken about it. He's got a really... Um, uh, large dollop of dry wit and is actually a pretty like a character, it turns out. It just took me about 15 years to figure it out. Yeah, the irony is that you, you might look at those characteristics. I think a lot of people would agree with you that they didn't instantly warm to him, but those characteristics that you say aren't exactly something that would warm, that an Irish audience would warm to. When in actual fact, the very characteristics that Andy Murray has that are likeable are things that Irish people tend to like. I think I think his sense of humour is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it was uh, immediately identifiable that that's exactly the way he operates. And like it could, we could easily be sitting here talking about a guy who was the darling of the, the British press and what has he ever achieved. And it did look, if you were a cynic uh, for a time in his career, mm. that that was going to be the case when he got to his uh, mid-twenties. And it still looked like there was a, a bit of a gap between him and the rest. And he managed to close that and he managed to get his win. And you, you kind of look at him as the, the, the post-peak Federer and Nadal era, mm. if I can use that phrase, because I don't think... If you look at it, like say this time last year, it was it was. Or I know, but ago. I think the point stands. Yeah, like we've had a Federer and Nadal final. We've had them coming back to their peak since Murray. But there peak. is a post Federer and Nadal era. Yeah, and it was Djokovic and it was Murray yeah. that that rolled. So for all that, he might have won more almost. Potentially, if it wasn't for Novak Djokovic, he certainly would have won more. I, I, I would definitely say that. But you kind of look at the other, the the other of the big four around him at, at the peak, and Federer far more talented uh, as an actual ball striker in terms of the grace. Nadal, when it comes to power, far better athlete, and then Djokovic as this absolute freak, mm. uh, as a man who would never be rumbled in terms of his mental fortitude, and also kind of a, a mix of the Federer and Nadal style of of the grace and the power that he has. There's no question for me out of those four players, Andy Murray is a comfortable fourth when it comes to natural ability. Yeah, he'll never, be de- he'll never be described as a great of the game. He'll be forgotten about in the context of the game in a world sense at some point. Uh, he, yeah, he, like in a British sense. Oh, in a uh, British sense, no, he'll, 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 he'll live greatest. forever. I mean, but, it's, 
Uh, like obviously people can say Fred Perry, whatever, that, that, that's going to be up for debate. But I, I just really think that for somebody in that position to win what he did, despite the fact that there was a gap between him and the other big three in tennis at the time, uh, just really says a lot for the character of the guy that he managed to, to fight through that ceiling because it could have so easily been a, a situation of settling for what he's got yeah. and being famous being rich and not winning that uh, Grand Slam and then he ended up winning a handful of them. Um, and again, he's not dead. Uh, he's just probably going to have to retire from the game. And, um, no, his career is almost over. That's why we're yeah. talking about his career. We're no, not no, talking you just, about the you just alluded Murray. to we're the not... fact at the top that he, you know, he might be disappearing from our worlds. And actually, the reality is that we'll probably hear more from Andy Murray post his uh, retirement than we ever did during it because you can be absolutely certain that he's going to get involved in the media. He's an excellent pundit. Himself yeah. and Tim Henman did one of the days in Wimbledon last summer and it was one of the best hours of television ever. To be fair, actually I say he's an excellent pundit. It was only funny because the two lads were just ripping the piss out of each other for the whole time. So um, we'll have to see what his analysis is like. It was one of the best hours of television ever, by the way. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you're, standing, you're standing by that one? Yeah. Um, one of the other things that we're going to spend a good bit of this morning talking about, obviously, is the Champions Cup of the weekend. It did get me to thinking yesterday about how a lot of the quotes that I'm reading, and I see Ronan Nagara is uh, echoing the point in the examiner this morning again that uh, Munster have been looking over the fence over the last couple of years um, about the success of Leinster and how that is going to be such a motivating factor for them. As we know, it was, conversely, for Leinster uh, when Munster were 2-0 in that regard in terms of the Heineken Champions Cup. Uh, and it just got me to thinking about how so many, uh, I don't normally subscribe to the, oh, we're so different to everybody else in the, in the planet when it comes to sport, but actually in a sporting context, uh, we are in a lot of ways, we do require that sort of chip on the shoulder stuff on. I think the, um, you know, uh, they've written us off, they're better than us, um, you know, nobody's given us a shout type stuff uh, works Seems, just seems to work for an Irish, Irish teams in a way that you don't really see a Manchester City saying, well, you know, um, we've got to sort of, we've got to win the Premier League because they're, they're writing us off or, you know, it's, they can just get about their work because they're a sort of professional outfit in a way that very few, and there are absolute exceptions to this rule, but in a way that very few Irish teams are. I mean, you would absolutely include the current um, Dublin football setup in that they don't uh, seem to require the uh, being written off thing because primarily because who the hell is writing Dublin off at the minute? They can just say just about to say that. And who who wrote Manchester City off last year before they won the title? Maybe if people have that, had actually written them off, they would then come out and say mm. we've been written off. Everybody's written us off, but the point is they weren't written off. No, that's what I'm saying, that actually they can just get about their business in a professional manner and yeah. say that we don't require any of that stuff, we can just be professional about it and we've got you know, great competition for, for places and that's the thing that drives us on. We don't need to put the headlines on the wall. But maybe it's not an Irish thing. Maybe it's just legitimately Irish teams are in a situation where it's right to write them off uh, on a couple of occasions. Like with, with these rugby teams, uh, say you go back two seasons at this point, three seasons at this point, when things were going desperately for them. A lot of those players were still there. A lot of those players were still starters for both of the provinces when it comes to Munster and Leinster. They'll remember the times when they were written off because they put in crap performances. Yeah. So, But, like, Munster are not a ridiculous shout to win the Huntington Cup this year. They're, like, fourth favourites. So it's not like... Nobody's writing them off. Like, they're fourth, fourth favourites there. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we do enjoy that complex of feeling that the world is against us and then fighting back against it. But that's not to say that the world being against you doesn't mean that they're correct. Quite often, the, the writing off of these teams is, is the right thing to do. Like when it comes to, say, if, if the Irish football team happened to have su- success over the next couple of years, you could easily see Seamus Coleman coming out and saying, well, everybody wrote us off. Yeah. 
That's because we were right to write you off because you were like it was a terrible year for Irish football last year. So like I'd agree with you to a certain extent, but I would say that the reason why we don't hear Manchester City talk about being written off is because they had a bloody good year last year and not many people actually write them off. Now, if they go on to win the Premier League, they might pick up pieces that, that said they relied too much on yeah. Fernandinho and we'll see what their Irishness is really like at the end of the but season. But what I'm saying they is the they Premier don't League. fall off a cliff edge because people aren't talking about them in that way. They're still very competitive. Uh, Limerick Curler is another example of that that didn't have to go to the well and you know the famous thing if you've got to lose a final to win one... Um, they didn't have the baggage of the previous 50 years, whatever it was, since Limerick had previously won uh, the Ireland Championship, that uh, that young group could just go out and win it. So, interesting to get your thoughts uh, this morning uh, on that, the old chip on the shoulder for uh, Irish sport. Is it something that's required? And also on Andy Murray, your thoughts and feelings on his, uh, it seems, imminent uh, retirement. Get all your uh, comments into us over the next hour and a little bit. We're going to be telling you what's going on in the back pages of the uh, newspapers in just a few minutes' time. That's upcoming. And then after that, Mike McCarthy, the former Leinster in Ireland, second row, is going to join us to preview the weekend. A bloody interesting weekend too, which begins tonight in the Heineken Champions Cup. And also he's going to uh, reveal his second row depth chart. Uh, which will be uh, obviously in relation to the Irish locks ahead of the World Cup and the Six Nations and all of that good stuff. So that will be revealed uh, just after 8 o'clock. Owen's been in conversation with Gary Ringrose. That's coming your way about half past 8. Gary Breen is going to join us on the line to uh, look ahead, primarily to United uh, Spurs on Sunday game that's live and off the ball. And there'll be a few other bits and pieces that we'll pick Gary's brain about as well. But uh, again, get your comments in for Gary. That's at about a quarter to nine. And then we're going to do some crystal ball gazing. We are going to gaze at our ball in the company of Owen and Ger And Nathan is going to be here as well. And here's a little bit of a flavour of that one. They should be like seven or eight to one at this point of the season. Like, they've got to come through the hardest qualifying thing in any sport mm. in the world, and then they have to play an all around semi final mm. final. <laughs> Without exaggeration, Jerry. Give me a name a harder thing to come out of. A European qualifiers to the World Cup? Champions Cup pool stages. The, like, if your team. Okay, of that quality. Yeah, okay, come, yeah, on. yeah. come on. No, that's fair come on. Come on. Name one. Like you're <laughs> like oh, you're really, in this conversation. Uh, I, I don't know the AFC South or <laughs> AFC. Is there, <laughs> there's tough divisions. The West in, in, in the NBA is incredibly hard to get out of. The championship. Yeah, actually, the the world. Get you. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get promotion to the championship. Yeah, is the Monster Championship the most difficult competition on the planet? Is the burning question as we gaze into our crystal ball ahead of the 2019 as all four of us give our predictions for various tournaments upcoming? I'm sure that one got to you particularly because you wouldn't be a fan of the old exaggeration. I did guffaw at it initially before we had a little bit of a conversation. You do, like, you do take things very literally. I do? Yeah. Right. Are yeah, we, as in like the, the guffaw at that, the guffaw at the... Best hour of television ever, which... I mean, uh, but no, the words that fell out of your mouth were, it was literally the best hour of television ever. I didn't use the word. You didn't use the word literally, I'll grant you that. You said it was the best hour of television ever. Once once you see a piece, the word literally automatically pops into your head, (laughs) which is fine. It's a good way of thinking. I am Jamie Redknapp. It it is a good way of thinking. You're never going to get carried away with anything, which uh, which I admire. (laughs) Uh, I've been away, but Owen is still a dick, it turns out, so... uh, (laughs) Time for the papers. Right, so uh, we're going to kick off with the Irish Examiner. I've been away for a while, it's fine, these things are going to happen. Um, we're going to start with the Irish Examiner, who are, and it's the, the front page of the Irish Examiner this morning here, who are leading with the fact that Conor Murray has been out in front of the media over the last few days. Uh, Munster Sir Murray 
uh, slam slams and he fails a uh, drugs test is the uh, lead on the very front page of the full Irish Examiner section this morning that we wanted to draw your attention to. Scrum Half was out injured for nearly five months. Toughest part was the rumours that his family would hear. Uh, right, Stephen Rogers here that, um, I mean, I think we'd all heard them at the time that he was out because he'd failed some sort of a drugs test and obviously as it materialised it was nothing to do with that, more to do with the neck injury. There are other headlines in the front page of the Irish Examiner this morning that we're not going to necessarily get stuck into on the uh, sports section it's the uh, photograph that I think most uh, rugby uh, followers around the country didn't expect to see this morning it's Chris Farrell uh, his miracle return boosts Munster's hopes at King's Home lucky 13 right because uh, it seemed as if he was expecting some sort of prolonged spell on the sidelines but he does start for Munster um, <coughs> against Gloucester this evening so much more on that inside including uh, the thoughts of Ronan Agara uh, who says that uh, he's not getting overly carried away with the sort of Munster might actually win the Champions Cup stuff. No, and he's probably right to think that. I think a lot will be learned in the next fortnight, really. Um, without getting carried away here, when it comes to like rugby weekends in the season, this weekend really is up there in terms of the best ones. Like There's a lot of great Six Nations weekends when it really matters. Some of them failed to deliver, but this one, this is, uh, I think he was a Neil Francis this week, described it as a uh, moving, moving weekend in the Champions Cup, and it really is. This is where you kind of finally solidify whether or not you're going to qualify, and it's going to be just a cracking weekend of rugby starting from this evening, and then four hours of, of Irish provinces in action then tomorrow with, with Ulster and Leinster, and of course, you, you can't forget Connacht as well. Just a brilliant weekend of rugby. Uh, Chris Farrell coming back so quickly is something that, which I think raised a lot of eyebrows here. I'm sure he's fully fit. Uh, there's always just a bit of a concern with somebody who's come back from such a previous, previously long injury layoff. But if he is touch and go with such a, a pivotal match, especially away from home tonight, I can't really blame Munster for risking him. Now, I'm not saying it is a risk. Maybe he is fully fit and yeah. touch and go and everything you is overblown. You suspect he probably is, right? Yeah. Like that's the... Um I mean, particularly in the eve, some pretty big international tournaments upcoming as well. So, um, yeah, we'll kind of see on that one. It's, uh, yeah, just interesting to see some good stuff from uh, from Ronald Gar there about Toulouse as well. Uh, that game is this evening, which I am uber excited about. Yeah. Like, Friday night, Champions Cup. Actually, I was just thinking about the wooden rival, and I'd mentioned it in that clip there, for the competitiveness of the Munster Championship. The Champions Cup pool stages. Yeah, they're extremely tough. Unbelievably tough. Yeah, no, they are. And like, if, if Munster lose tonight, for example, uh, which is a possibility in King's Home mm. of all places, you're looking at them and you're thinking, even if they lose narrowly, you couldn't really write that pool stage off as a complete disaster. But there's a high possibility that they won't qualify because they're in such a tough pool. Everybody in Munster's pool can still qualify. And when everybody can still qualify, that tends to be one of the pools where none of the best runners-up are going to come out of. Mm. So it's huge uh, stakes tonight from a Munster perspective if they lose. And I'd agree with you uh, for once that uh, the, the pool stages of uh, the Champions Cup are extremely wow. tough to get out of. I was going to say they're t- it's tougher than the Munster Hurling Championship. Mm. They're close. They're close, yeah. 2019 really has already brought some amazing things. It has, mm-hmm. you know. The, the, the age of the disagreement is over. We still haven't found out what it is that you're so happy about, but we might get stuff. I, I was just saying I was happy, to be quite honest. You were just having I a taxi conversation. I had to, I had to, I had to answer your question. <laughs> Munster can ride the storm if they keep their cool, right? Straight Thornley uh, on the sports section in the Irish Times this morning. This is obviously a preview of this game. Province ruffled in cast, but seemed to have learned uh, lesson to good effect. And a pretty good photograph there, Joey Carberry as well, hanging on to the short tails of uh, Jason Woodward. Uh, so that is uh, largely, obviously, rugby dominated in the Irish uh, Times this morning. The Times Ireland edition, meanwhile, is our next port of call here. Uh, Byrne steps in for Sexton. Ross Byrne has, is going to get the uh, number 10 shirt teams for Leinster. 
uh, at the RDS tomorrow. Um, and, I mean, you know, it'll be interesting to see what impact it has on the Leinster game plan, apart from anything else. Like Johnny Sexton, obviously, just recently voted the best player on the planet, uh, I think, no matter what. And Stuart Lancaster was very effusive in his praise for Ross Byrne during the week about the qualities that he brings to it. But you think that no matter what, no matter who's stepping into that shirt, that you have to, at some, you must have to alter your game plan, no matter who's coming in, because, you know, there's going to be a difference in quality. So, um, of course there is, and like no two players are the same stylistically either. And when it comes to the position of out-half, of course you're going to have to alter your game. Like, I may or may not be predicting Leinster for the Champions Cup later on in our crystal ball section, and I did suspect after they'd gone to Toulouse and got beaten the last time that it's like, oh God, I, I fear for Toulouse when they come to Dublin uh, in 2019. Now I'm not so sure. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I'm worried for Leinster this weekend in terms of losing the game. In terms of potentially going out and getting that bonus point, I don't think it's a, a done thing whatsoever, and I'm sure most Leinster fans would agree with that. You just look at the injuries, like the Irish Times have it this morning, that Rob Kearney's going to be out. Obviously, Henshaw and Sexton are out as well. James Lowe is suspended. Four big Toner's players out. Possible doubt. Toner's possible doubt. Toner's possible doubt back in for them. It's... Uh, in fact, like with the, the probable team that the Irish Times have, that's... Toner's not actually starting in that team. I think mm-hmm. it's Scott Fardy starting in, in the, the second row, according to the Irish Times, alongside James Ryan. So a, a little bit of a, a chipping away at that Leinster depth, which made them such convincing champions last year. But I think we've seen chinks in that armour already this year when it comes to depth. And it's to do with, like it's to do with Carberry going to Munster, it's to do with Eason Asaba leaving, and a couple of other factors as well. Yeah. That the, the aura of Leinster isn't as strong as it was last year. And the w- beating Leinster, it turns out, was a real springboard for Toulouse as well. They've not lost one single game since that. I think mm. won 11 of the 12 and drawn the other one. So um, they're a different prospect. And I, I'm not saying that Leinster were complacent over there. but It's good to have to lose back as well. Yeah. Um, Murray uh, centre stage after revealing hurt at rumours is the back page of the Irish Independent this morning that's uh, um, written on a lot of the I was, I'm laughing not at the headline but at the fact that I was told that I'm not to discuss rugby any longer and then it's I mean there it is Tommy what can I do it's on the uh, back page of the Irish Independent today and also a photograph of Marcus Rashford and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer ahead of uh, United Tottenham on uh, Sunday a game that we're going to talk to Gary Breen about in just a little bit Back page of the Herald this morning says, Rice close to making call. Decision soon from West Ham team on Irish future. And Solskjaer is saying that they're going to go on the attack against Tottenham on Sunday. Back page of the Irish Daily Mail is an exclusive. A dare threat by Philip Quinn. Wentworth emerges as rival to McManus's manner for Ryder Cup. So I think we were all under the impression that Adair Manor was uh, almost a sure thing to host the Ryder Cup in 2026, but Wentworth has now emerged as a real contender uh, to take this the mantle as host um, course for the 2026 Ryder Cup. It hosted the, the Ryder Cup in 1926, so the whole play here is the 100th anniversary of the Wentworth Ryder Cup, and it might put them into a good position. Uh, the other story here in the back of the Irish Daily Mail, and it's carried in a lot of the other newspapers, is Kearns out of league after heart surgery. So Monaghan midfielder Niall Kearns will not feature in this year's Allianz Football league after it was revealed yesterday that he is recuperating from a heart operation. Uh, he obviously had a sensational year last year, brilliant in midfield for Monaghan. So he underwent cardiac surgery back in October, but the operation was kept under wraps. And uh, Malachi O'Rourke has said now it's had a heart operation, so he won't be seen until at least the end of the campaign. He's got a fair recovery period ahead of him. Uh, he had a problem with his heart last year, so we wish uh, Niall Kearns all the best. And obviously a, a huge loss uh, to Monaghan this year in the league. Hopefully we'll see him back and playing for the summer. Uh, back page of the Sun is Watch Potch. Ole says it's only right he's in the frame for to boss Manchester United. Uh, the back page of the Mirror then leads with this Marco Arnautovic story. Arnie says, I won't be back. West Ham stars agent and brother says Marco wants out of Hammers. 
Uh, echoes of Dimitri Payet there for West Ham United fans, I'd imagine, this morning. Back page of the Irish Daily Star is D-Day. Rice ready to make call on international future. Uh, and then a couple of the UK... That was a story that ran in one of the newspapers yesterday, that wasn't it? That he'd given some quotes to say that everything was locked down now in the club front. And, uh, I mean, it's all sorted now, so I'm ready to make a... Make my decision. Yeah, exactly. I think we're all ready for him to make the decision too, aren't we? In a way that maybe we weren't as prepared for a few months ago that, like, ultimately if he decides to go for England, screw it. It just, at least it's over. Yeah, I'd rather wait a year and him play for Ireland, though. <laughs> uh, back page of The Guardian is uh, the fairly dejected-looking Andy Murray. Down under, Andy Murray cuts a frustrated figure and also study reveals dire situation. In-play betting causing havoc with younger football fans, writes David Conn. Uh, the front page of the Daily Telegraph sports section is Murray Agony. Djokovic practice match flags up new concerns over Britain's fitness on eve of Australian Open. And uh, the Racing Post then, front page here, five-year bans for jockeys who fail tests for cocaine, says the front of the newspaper this morning. Irish authorities say message is not getting through. So they're going to face at least a five-year ban from the sport, those Irish-based jockeys facing positive tests for cocaine. There was an announcement yesterday that uh, Damien Melia, a seven-pound claiming apprentice, and Conor Murphy, a seven-pound claiming amateur, have been given four- and five-year suspensions by the IHRB after testing positive for metabolites of cocaine. The Racing Post understands a third rider has also tested positive for cocaine, but that case is yet to be heard. There was a story also in the... Um, might have been The Guardian, actually, there. If you have it or do I have it? Uh, no, I have it here, sorry. It was in the uh, Telegraph about John Hardy, who's a former... Uh, this was a story at the time that it really passed me by, a former uh, Edinburgh back row who had um, actually, oddly enough, not tested positive for cocaine because there'd never been never been um, a drugs test to fail. He'd been um, found to have been taking cocaine in an Edinburgh bar and there was a disciplinary hearing. There was no test. It seems like he just came out and put his hands up and said, yeah, I was doing that and then uh, served a ban. He's now playing at Newcastle uh, Falcons. An interview with him uh, by Luke Edwards in the Telegraph today. How long was the ban? I don't put you on the spot there. I haven't actually read the piece. It, it just strikes me from reading this that four or five year ban for what you could what is often referred to as recreational mm. uh, is fairly steep but then you kind of think of the process of, of being a jockey when it comes to, to weight cutting and all that sort of stuff perhaps it could be seen as a, as a bit more than that I, I, I think just it was a couple of years he played for Scotland the uh, 2015 World Cup so it would have been post that um, and he was in a bit of limbo couldn't get a club and was rocked up now at the Newcastle Falcons and is um, I don't know look, I, I've read the piece this morning it's like one of these things where he's it's obviously taking a significant toll on him he wants to make amends he wants to do his parents proud all things that you definitely uh, have empathy for and think that um, are you know um, standard things to do uh, but he also says stuff like um, that you know the stories a reporter on it's tough for his family it's it's been written about he says uh, I know from my parents it's hard because whenever they read something in the paper it's John Hardy dot 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 something something it's around those lines they don't like that but like me they've just got to accept it like I'd almost flip that in his head and say like what the hell do you want people to write about you like you were put your hands up and come out and it's not that it was nothing for in his instance taking cocaine was not I'm assuming performance enhancing it was something that was recreational for him but at the same time there's an opportunity for him to come out in a slightly different way to somebody who might have taken something for performance enhancing reasons but to do something educational for people kids in the game and like put himself out there and actually embrace the idea that this is something that happened to him and he got embroiled and he regrets it and he wants to make amends for it as opposed to please stop talking about it yeah, it's true. Which is essentially what he's saying. It's a, the, the, the silence is never a good idea, I guess, in, in any subject. 
Uh, right, all, we have uh, tickets, by the way, to that Leinster-Toulouse game tomorrow to give away, um, and it's uh, totally sold out, so we're just looking for you to leave a comment for us about the weekend's rugby. You can use the hashtag OTBAM uh, so that we know you've entered, and you will be in the draw, and we'll bring you that winner uh, before we leave you at the end of the show. A man that uh, I know for a fact loves a good hashtag, Mike McCarthy, good morning to you. Morning, season's greetings, lads. All is well in the world? Very good, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. No, delighted to have you on, and we're going to get your uh, thoughts on, you're going to do the uh, second row depth chart first. We've been going through all these positions over the last little while, and we'll continue it into the uh, Six Nations. I do have a sneaking suspicion as to who number one of that uh, depth chart might be, uh, Mike, but we will we will get to that in just a little bit. You might be surprised. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, I'm intrigued now. All um, to be revealed soon, though. I'm uh, your bromance with Dev really is what's leading me to believe that he's 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 in there at number one. But um, he's dropped on the packing order. Don't oh worry. right, okay, okay. Well, stay tuned for that, uh, viewers. Um, Leinster Toulouse uh, tomorrow, Mike, one o'clock. Um, a game that's going to be live and off the ball. Sexton is out. We've just been obviously picking over this over the last twenty-four hours. The news that he's <coughs> out. Ross Byrne. Uh, will come in and uh, take over that position. He's obviously a good player, Ross Byrne, with a huge future ahead of him, but you assume that uh, from Leo Cullen and uh, Stuart Lancaster's point of view, losing a player of the quality of Sexton, like, no matter who comes in, it changes the game plan, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, first of all, it's how exciting is it? Four, the four-times winners versus the four-times winners. But, um, yeah, it's replacing the world player of the years you know Johnny Sexton is irreplaceable but if you do ha- if you do want to have someone stepping in it's Ross Byrne you know he's been his understudy for 3 years he's uh, he's learned from the best and we've seen how he steps up we saw last season where he stepped in in the semi-final uh, of the Pro 14 against Munster uh, he played the two Montpellier games and you know what Ross Byrne brings is he's he's cool calm collective he's brought that fiery confidence that um uh, maybe he had to grow a bit, obviously learning that from Sex- Sexto himself. But uh, you know, Ross Byrne certainly can control the game. He'll he'll put the lads in the right areas of the field, um, and he's got a real rugby brain. He'll make the really really good decisions. So, uh, you know, while it's obviously hugely disappointing not to have Johnny Sexton, there's there's no better person to to step in and, and fill his boots. Uh, the only thing you would have liked to have maybe seen is is for uh, Ross Byrne to have played. Uh, last week against Ulster mm. I think the reason he obviously didn't play was because they, they had a sense Johnny Sexton was struggling with that calf injury so um, Kieran Frawley got that um, game time to kind of uh, wrap up Ross Byrne in, 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 in bubble wrap for, for this game coming up so but yeah um, no, no, no one better to step in and fill the boots Yeah and Frawley as well might be required to come in for the last 10 or 15 minutes and see the game home so maybe that worked on all fronts Is Sexton just finally on this one briefly Mike is he <laughs> going to be involved do you think uh, over the last week or 10 days I mean does he step totally away because he does strike me as the sort of character who's at the forefront of implementing whatever the coaching plan uh, would be is he still involved do you think um, well it, I, I'm sure he'll be helping Ross Byrne in terms of uh, getting clarity around of you know exactly what he needs to do and you know without being too pushy or you know sticking his nose and he'll, he'll be there to support support the team and support Ross Byrne if, if, if they should need that help Um but, you know, as equally, uh, you know, there's, there was a concern, I'm not sure whether he is or he isn't, of, of Dev Toner playing as well. And, you know, for me, Dev Toner's equally uh, a big loss. Uh, yes, James Ryan and... Um, and um, Scott Fardy. Scott Fardy, sorry. Uh, brilliant people to step in. But, you know, we've seen, we've seen what Dev brings when, um, to the team. He, he, he gives that foundation of, of, of platform or set piece, which 
allow it's the concrete and gelling of the team which allows the rest of the team to to perform well. So you know, hopefully we'll see Dev on that team sheet because he, he to me, he's as important to having the team as, as Johnny Sexton. Yeah, like potentially missing those couple of players, Carney, Henshaw. And in the light, obviously, of the recent blip, are you concerned, particularly with the, the Munster result, are you concerned by that blip and the impact that that might have uh, on where Leinster are at tomorrow? Yeah, just, uh, they haven't hit top form. I mean, they've been a little bit rusty. And, you know, when you look at that Toulouse side, and they, I think since they beat Leinster the last time, they've, they haven't lost in 12 games. They've won 11 and drawn one. Uh, they've got a lot of cohesion and togetherness. That's something Leinster maybe at this stage don't have because of the chopping and changing of the teams week in, week out. So we, we kind of saw that a, a bit against Munster. Uh, yeah, hugely disappointing for the guys, uh, Leinster boys against Munster. But, um, you know, when you think they're playing most of the game, most of the game with 14 men, um, yeah, they're, they're maybe a little bit rusty and may lack a little bit of cohesion going into this game. It seems like an odd time of the year to get rusty, Mike, doesn't it? Like, I think, fair enough, in the opening stages of the Champions Cup, that's acceptable. Why do you think they're rusty in the middle of the season when, if anything, maybe they could be tired, but I wouldn't have thought they would be rusty? Well, I'm not sure the rusty is the right word, but, I mean, I don't think they've hit top gear, which I think is possibly a good thing. I mean, mm. losing against Munster will uh, refocus the minds. That's the way they'll be looking at it. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll really be looking hard at you know, where they can be better. They won't be coming into this game... Uh, in a relaxed mood, no, notoriously over the last couple of seasons, Leinster have not been hitting top gear uh, at this point in the season. So uh, to be in the position they're in, doing as well as they are in the Pro 14, to be doing as well as they are in the Champions Cup, uh, I, I can only see them <clears throat> moving up the gears um, after this and you know having a, having a great run in as, as they did last season. If we look back on the the France leg, Mike, like the obviously famously slow out of the blocks and you know allow Toulouse to build up a phenomenal lead, almost of more concern for me was the fact that they got Leinster got back to twenty seven twenty one and couldn't close the game out in a way that like last season we really would have seen them doing that quite a bit. What's your thought on the Leinster product this season versus where they were at last season? Is it a lesser product now? Yeah, well, <clears throat> like you mentioned there, the, the last 10 minutes, Leinster were leading and that try, the intercept, um, you know, it wasn't just any old intercept. I think Stuart Lancaster has alluded to that during the week, the fact that this is a French team that has done their analysis, they've done their homework, they've seen that play before and uh, it just shows, you know, most French sides maybe wouldn't go into the detail of analysis that, uh, you know, they would in the, the Premiership or in Ireland. But you really saw that they'd, they'd, they'd looked at uh, how Leinster play and, and saw that was a pre-rehearsed move and that's how they got the intercept. But, you know, for Toulouse, what Leinster are going to have to be careful with and maybe improve on slightly what, with where they've been uh, currently this season is, is respecting the ball, looking after the ball. This Toulouse team score over half their tries from turnover ball. Mm. They're, they're, they're phenomenally dangerous against... Um, a dis- disorganised defence. So um, that's going to be a big work on for, for the Leinster team is to, to keep hold of the ball for longer periods of time and respect the ball, not give it up cheaply because we know how dangerous, how quick those those Toulouse backs are. Um, another thing that Leinster have to be really strong on is discipline. We saw against Munster, the discipline was really poor. Um, you know, you, you have bad discipline against Toulouse. They kick to the corner. They've got a humongous pack uh, and they dr- just drive malls against you. So, you know, those two areas are key areas uh, which Leinster are going to have to, you know, do really well on um, come one o'clock on, on Saturday. 
Yeah, for sure. And just on that first point, in terms of holding on to the ball, Mike, is your sense this season that Leinster have been more risky than they have been last year and are giving the ball away more cheaply or at least giving the opposition the opportunities to take the ball away from them a little bit more cheaply? Um, maybe two things. Maybe it's a bit uh, a bit of overconfidence with you know with what what they what they achieved last season, winning the double. Uh, you know that brings a lot of confidence to the mind. And maybe they're you know uh, a few more percent in terms of what they're trying out there. But the other one is that cohesion thing I, I mentioned to you before. You know when you're not <clears throat> playing week in week in together, there's, you're chopping and changing the team. Um, it's it, it, it can certainly affect that side of things. So as I said. This point of the season, going forward, I think there'll be more cohesion. There'll be a bit more of a settled team as the the bigger games uh, come thicker and faster. And I think you'll see that cohesion come uh, in the run up to the to, to, towards the end of the season. And Leinster to win tomorrow, Mike. Oh, Leinster's to win. Yeah, I mean, I think even if they don't, I think both teams will, will still go through. But it's that home quarter final, uh, one o'clock kickoff. We know French sides notoriously don't travel particularly well. One o'clock kickoff, an early kickoff, so a good start out the blocks for Leinster, and uh, you know I, I'm convinced it's, it's going to be a good win. But you know, interesting to see as well if Robbie Henshaw's involved because I heard he's been training during the week. Right. But um, you know, if he is to if he is to step in, we've seen you know he can do it as well. We saw that injury against Italy where he did his shoulder. He came back and played um, in the semi-final of the Pro 14 against Scarlets, and you know he physically dominated that game. Okay, that's the uh, game live, by the way, on Off the Ball for you tomorrow. As Mike says, it's underway from uh, one of the locks. We'll be in there just before that. Uh, Gloucester Munster at King's Home this evening. I have to say, we were just saying earlier on how exciting it is to have a game of interest on uh, on a Friday night. Uh, incredibly, Chris Farrell is fit and he starts their fourth favourites uh, for the tournament. Uh, Mike, a couple of rounds to go on the pool stages. Have you seen enough from Munster so far to believe that they can actually win this tournament? Oh, 100% Munster... Uh are, are always in with a shout, aren't they? I mean, uh, you know, for them going down to Gloucester, I think the main the main thing they'll be happy about is seeing there's no Cipriani. That the drop off in performance since Cipriani's been out in, in terms of their attack has been uh, pretty incredible. Gloucester, uh, you know, they had a heavy loss to Sale a, a couple of weeks ago at home. Uh, lost to Leicester there, so you know, I think Munster will go will be going down with full confidence. They're they're coming into the game with a, a bit of momentum. Those two Interpro wins, beating Leinster. Um, at home and be- beating Connor away, um, and you know their pack is looking looking really strong with their uh, you know Klein and Tyburn in the second row and um, <coughs> that that back row is 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 pretty phenomenal. So you know I think they'll um, they they went away and beat Exeter, so I I believe they'll go away and beat Gloucester as well. Yeah, like the, the pack has been seriously impressive. There has been signs as well, certainly uh, in the game against Connacht, that that back line is starting to get things going as well. Andy Dunn was saying that perhaps Munster don't exactly know what they're all about in the backs just yet, but he was certainly more impressed with them o- over the last week. Are you the same? Are you starting to see a Munster identity when they're attacking? Yeah, I think um, they're incredibly frustrating to play against. They, they're hugely physical. I think one area they they, they, they need to improve on is, is their attack. You know, if we look back to that um, game where Munster beat Leinster, uh, I think they scored they scored two tries, and those tries were their first in three games. And both those tries came from one was an intercept and one was from a driving mall. So, you know, that's you know every team has has work ons we spoke there about Lens's work on it is their dis- discipline and maybe uh you know look respecting the ball and looking after it slightly better uh, for months they just need to improve their attack and um you know if they can do that uh, with what they bring defensively and how frustrating they are to play against um they they're, they're going to be in a very good place going forward 
Yeah, it's very fine margins, obviously, in this tournament. Do you think uh, and Munster can ill afford to lose, obviously? Zin, what do you think in terms of their chances of getting it done over there? Sorry? Are Munster going to win? Oh, yeah, I think they're going to win. I think they'll, um, you know, I'm very confident they'll go down there and do, do a job. And great to see Chris Farrell back after he, mm. <coughs> after that bad knee injury he had. And, um, you know, it looked like he was limping off the, off the pitch after that Connor game. So I was delighted to see that news that he's, he's fit and available to play. Yeah, it's incredible. Racing uh, uh, at Ulster is the other game at Belfast tomorrow at quarter past three. That's also live on Off the Ball. Uh, one of the other reasons that we wanted to get John Mike, obviously, as we mentioned at the top, is that we're mapping out our 31 players who are going to be on that plane to Japan alongside Joe Schmidt and his coaching staff in uh, more than a few months' time, obviously, ahead of the uh, Rugby World Cup. We'll be updating this as we go through the Six Nations as well. Um, four years ago, Joe Schmidt... Death chart, yes. Good hashtag. Uh, he picked four second rows, Mike, when he uh, went uh, in t- uh, 2015. So we want to get your thoughts on um, who the locks are going to be. We've been picking each position here as we went. Uh, I should mark up that this is going to be fatally skewed uh, due to your bromance uh, with Dev. But, I mean, yeah, I think you've indicated that he may not be your number one selection. Who have you got? Yeah. Shall I, shall I, shall I reveal? Yes, give us, give us your reveal, yeah. Well... You know, I wanted to keep you guys guessing, but um, <laughs> shall I start from first down to fourth? Yes, please. Or fourth to first? Go go first to fourth. Okay. Okay, my depth chart, Mike McCarthy's depth chart, 2019, leading into the next World Cup. At number one, we have um, D-E-V-I-N, <laughs> Evan Toner. <laughs> I'm going to go into a couple of reasons why yeah. Dev Toner is number one. So my top four, Dev Toner, James Ryan, Ian Henderson, and Tyke Furlong. Okay, so why, De- why is Dev Toner yeah. number one? A lot of people are saying, you know, they, they, they go for James Ryan as number one. Dev Toner, for me, number one is because I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. Just he is the concrete, the cement, the foundations in that Irish side that allows everyone to play well. Um, you know, he doesn't do anything really X factor or wow factor, apart from maybe smashing Brody Retallick that New Zealand game, but he just brings uh, he, he he's the glue behind that team. We saw against Argentina in the autumn internationals when uh, Henderson was calling the lineouts, and Hendy can do a, a really good job of calling the lineouts, and you know great string to his bow alongside what he brings physically uh, in his attack and his defence. But for me, Dev Toner securing that lineout ball in attack frustrating the opposition in defence. You know, we saw against New Zealand, he was straight back in, um, you know, marking up the back of the tail of the line-out. We know New Zealand score most of their tries off, off, off you know, first phase off a line-out. Uh, so Dev disrupted a lot of that at the, at the tail of the line-out. What he brings in terms of his aerial skills, it kick off, uh, winning kickoffs back, receiving kickoffs, his work rate. Um, you know, I really do believe, and I, and I think Joe Schmidt's tinkered with it a couple of times, um, you know, having different lock combinations, but you always come out of the game thinking, "Geez, it really shows what what's missing when Dev is, is, isn't playing." Maybe he's come through this, but he, I'm not a bit concerned by the form of Devon Toner over the last while. Oh no, I'm, I no, I think uh, I think he's been playing. I think he's been playing well, and sometimes he goes about his business without you know re- you really noticing him, um, but. You know he he needs to be he needs to be in that team and for me he's first on the list. Uh, number two, J- James Ryan. We've seen seen what he brings in terms of his work rate, his 
his collisions in defence and attack and, you know, carrying the ball, getting over the gain line, getting over those, those when he's running into heavy traffic, getting over those two inches. And, you know, he's huge for, huge for the team and what he brings physically and uh, giving the team that momentum. Uh, Ian Henderson, I know he's injured at the moment, but, you know, we know, we know what Hendy brings when he's fit and, and Tyke Furlong, um, Tyke Byrne, sorry, has been, um, has been a revelation. So he's carried that form from Scarlet's Across to Munster, um, uh, brings a real po- poach threat at the breakdown. Um, huge, huge engine on him, huge work rate. And, uh, you know, he's he's a great guy to have in a squad as well. You know, like Ian Henderson and Ty Byrne, they both can uh, cover back row as well, obviously. So when you go into a World Cup, and you know, they're, they're very valuable players. Uh, kind of off the radar a bit, but guys who could possibly make it, Alton Delan um, and uh, Jean Klein, um, for me, two two great players and Gav Thornbury also. I mean, the stocks are since 2015 when um, we didn't have, you know, two, three, four absolute quality world-class players in each position. Um, I think we now have that and uh, it's, it's very exciting leading into the, into the World Cup. So uh, I do have a question about Devon Toner, but just to kind of put that into some sense. So you've got, you've got your four in the depth chart. How many beyond that do we reckon are going to get on the plane? I know it's, it's up to, to Joe and all that. Obviously, Henderson and Burns' cases are greatly enhanced by the fact that uh, they're versatile in a competitive back row, as you've already mentioned. Is, is there a fifth? Is he brought there... four. He brought four in 2015. Because of their versatility in the back row, could there be somebody who's not on your depth chart, Mike, who can make the plane? He, he, yeah, he brought four in 2015, and I know that because I wasn't on the plane. But then I got <laughs> got his uh, his uh, nasty uh, hamstring injury. I was I was out there for a week, yeah. and uh, the, the, we lost to Argentina. So um, a week's holiday for me. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm assuming they'll take four, and then uh, you know that one. To, you know, someone will get called up if if there's an injury. How does that work when you're sitting around? You know, on Owen's question there in in terms of. You know that you're. Uh, is he in contact with you to say, "Listen, you're the next man in if anything goes wrong here"? Or how does that work? Well, that, that wasn't the case with me, but uh, you know, to be honest, I was. I, I hadn't been in the, the the training camps before they went, so I thought I was completely off the radar. Um, but my form was good for for Leinster, so you know, it just shows that Joe Joe does not miss a trick. Uh, he was obviously keeping tabs on the guys, you know, guys even who maybe weren't. Uh, the next in line because I, I think Dan Tui had been in all the all the training camps, so my assumption was an injury. Dan Tui would get, get called up, so you know it was a, it was a surprise when I did get called up. So, so were you uh, off sort of enjoying yourself? Uh, no, what was I doing? I, it's, uh, I, I, I'm not sure actually, to be honest, what I was doing, but I certainly wasn't expecting a, a call up, so it, it was a bit of a shock, to be honest. Um, I, I just have uh, sorry, Mike. I just have one last question on uh, Devon Toner and the oh, difference between him. Now, last one on Devon Toner. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to be picked out too much here. <laughs> uh, no, it's actually kind of backing up your point because I do wonder if Devon Toner is one of the more underrated players in the squad, which seems such a ridiculous thing. How could you underrate the tallest man in the world and not appreciate what he does every single time? But maybe it's more accurate to say, has he been underrated? Because I really feel that there was a public shift in terms of favour of Devon Toner being our second row post the Argentina game, post the New Zealand game. You mentioned the, the massive headline-grabbing moment against Brody Retallick, but everything else he did in those two tests were outstanding as well, that now yeah. it is a realistic debate as to who is our best lock, and Devon Toner seems to, to be edging his way in front in that discussion. Do you feel that before that he, he was a, a, a tad underrated? Yeah, I think maybe, possibly he has been, because... 
you know, like I said, Dev doesn't really bring that, that, that absolute wow factor that the likes of, you know, less Ian Henderson, James Ryan, Ty Byrne, they are absolute power athletes, um, phenomenal specimens, uh, you know, physically. And I think Dev would be the first to say he's, he's not a power athlete. Um, so when you're looking at those players, it's probably very tempting to say, oh, I'd love to have them in my starting team in terms of what they bring and in, in, in terms of their carrying, getting over the gain line. And you try it out, you tinker with it, you, you give those guys a, a run. And, you know, for some reason, it just doesn't quite, quite gel. Uh, you know, I think Dev compliment you know we've got players now who who can carry the ball get over the game for, for us we, we you know we've got phenomenal back rowers we've got phenomenal second rowers uh, those three i just mentioned in terms of the power they their power game they bring but you know i'm not sure the exact, exact science behind it but you just seem to need need dev there to uh, to gel those guys together um and you know sometimes the likes of um ian henson and ty burn because they're so powerful, so explosive, so bring so much energy and dynamism, they are actually sometimes better off the bench. It's like, you know, same with Sean Cronin. He's such a power athlete. What he brings coming off the bench when guys are tired, when they're fatigued in the last 20 minutes is, uh, is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, you're talking me around, I have to say. We're just showing a selection of the people that have been in touch, the land uh, slide of people that have been in touch with us. Uh, over the last while, given their picks, I, I, to be fair, the vast majority of them are going for James Ryan, number one. Um, I mean, anecdotally, after that, it's any combination of Toner and Henderson and then uh, Tyg Byrne bringing up uh, the rear. Like, it does seem like a shootout between Toner and Henderson, at least if you're Joe Schmidt uh, for that second berth. In the same way that we've just been speaking about people writing off Devin Toner, is it the same uh, case with Tyg Byrne, Mike? Do you think that, like, a guy who is so influential as a line-out leader, he's good in the ball, he's aggressive at the breakdown... <coughs> Unbelievable turnover stats. Maybe some of those are uh, more back row um, uh, features, but are we writing him off too early in a way that actually, you know, he does well for Munster over the latter stages of the Champions Cup, maybe squeezes his way in the Six Nations and suddenly we could be looking at a Ryan Byrne combination? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's got a great opportunity with, with Henderson being out to, you know, to be involved in that match squad for that first game against England. But, uh, you know, we've spoken about what, what Tyke Byrne brings, he's a phenomenal athlete and, you know, he, he's, he's got the complete game. I think maybe, I'm not sure what it is, but it possibly the only thing I could think of that is maybe uh, lacking in his game, which, you know, is, I'm really not sure if it's the case, but uh, it's, it's just his size for international rugby at second row. You know, like myself, I wasn't the tallest Tyg wouldn't be the tallest. He's about six. I don't think he's six five. I think he's six four. And you know he wouldn't be the heaviest. So in terms of giving that foundation and uh, and security of you know ha- having 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 that weight and uh, uh, strength in, in the scrum to give you that platform, I, I'm not sure if that is an issue. I don't think it is. But it, you know, in terms of size, he is it would be slightly smaller than other sec- other second rows and be more in the figure of a of, of a back row. Just on that basis, as we wrap up on it, so size is the thing that's against burn. The uh, lack of aggression, I'm sort of probably misparaphrasing the uh, expression that you used about Dev Toner uh, a little bit earlier on. Is there any or what are the weaknesses of James Ryan? Hmm. Yeah, I don't think he has any, does he? Uh, I mean, you could perhaps say he experienced because he hasn't been on the scene very long, but then what he's doing... Uh, he he's, he just shows he's only he's only going to get better with time. So uh, you know I don't 
James Ryan is a, is a complete player. Um, I don't, I, to be honest, I don't know how he can sustain his performance levels week in, week out that he, that he is doing. Um, so, you know, James Ryan is, you know, up there with the, the best test locks in the world at the moment. Mm. I, I must say, you saying he wouldn't be the tallest. He's six foot five is the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard, Mike. Yeah, well, unfortunately, these days, I think I got out at the right time. I'm six foot five and I, 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 I felt like um, I felt pretty small. Uh, when I got the chance at international rugby, you look at them all now, Etzebet, the Greys, you know, the second rows of test level nowadays, you know, they're not really much smaller than six foot seven at a, at a minimum. Yeah. All right, Mike, we're going to leave it there for the minute. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers, guys. Thanks Catch very you soon. Much. Take it easy. Mike McCarthy there, uh, live on the line from uh, Shea McCarthy, I'm assuming, um, and some interesting stuff. His bromance with Dev Toner totally, obviously, coloured the conversation there, but... Uh, Not necessarily. I mean, I, I have to say, I was definitely buying a bit of it towards the end. Uh, like, if, if he did that depth chart pre-November, I think it would have raised a few more eyebrows. Mm. Obviously, my point about the tide turning towards Dev Toner being our, our, the number one choice isn't true when we look at those Instagram responses that we put on screen. Uh, Everybody, yeah. literally, on, on that screen had... Uh, James Ryan as, as their number one and he probably still is but I just think I think, yeah. I think Devin Toner's position per, as a starter perhaps was in doubt f- three months ago I think after his performance in November if we're going into the England game without Devin Toner in our starting team and by extension James Ryan there like I think the, our, our lock position is is as locked in it's more, it's more locked in than our front row really you just have to flip that to James Ryan 10 and then it's, it's for me then it's pretty accurate after that yeah but they're Mike McCarthy's picks so <laughs> Uh, yeah, my uh, lock picks are not a not a thing. It turns out. Well, he has he has dashed our dreams of becoming international standard locks. I think we're just a, a little bit too short. <laughs> uh, right, it is coming up on twenty to nine on this Friday morning. Delighted to have you along with us. We've uh, tickets, by the way, for Leinster to lose tomorrow to give away. So get your best uh, rugby comments in, and we'll give those away before the end of the show. Darren Cleary is going to be in the studio next to uh, bring us up to speed with all the live sport. But uh, before all of that, Leinster and Ireland rugby international Gary Ringrose. Uh, who's an ambassador of PwC uh, Ireland, and Owen uh, popped on to the PwC offices during the week after it was announced that uh, Ringrose was renewing his partnership with the firm for 2019. Take a look. Okay, so we are back at the PwC headquarters with PwC ambassador Gary Ringrose. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. So uh, we're at the start of 2019. Over the past couple of weeks, have you had time to reflect on 2018 at all and all the success you had? Um being honest no you probably not you, you don't really there's always a game around the corner that you need to be focusing on so you don't really um, sit back and reflect on the year too much to be honest mm. of course though you had a pretty busy schedule over Christmas and a fairly interesting game down in Thoman Park to keep the mind occupied yeah exactly so you couldn't really get distracted too much or afford to get uncomfortable and start reflecting on the year that's been with, with that game coming up so it was, um, we're still flat out training wise preparing for that game and, and all the other games as well what was that monster game like to play in? It was tough. I think I've never played a, an easy game down in Tomo Park, and the atmosphere is always incredible down there. And you, know, you can feel the ground shaking when, certainly when Munster run out. Um, so it's they are pretty cool days to be a part of, or, or nights to be a part of. Um, I know my granddad has ties down to Limerick, so he always talks about him playing as a kid around where Tomo Park was. So it is always cool to go down and, and play there. Um, the game itself, obviously, was was tough enough and, and didn't go the way we had liked but I think learnt a couple of valuable lessons from it and hopefully try and be better as a result Yeah there was a lot of needle in the game which we all loved was it enjoyable for you? Yeah it was well it was I think both teams would probably think looking back see where it can have been better but it was there was definitely an edge there and 
Christmas as well and truly out of the system from the first minute really um, and it was flat out I think just shows how much both teams wanted to win um, which which contributed to a tough but, but great game I'm not surprised that you haven't had time or have deliberately not reflected on 2018 just yet because every time we speak to you, you're always looking forward. And 2019 is obviously a, a huge year for you personally, a huge year for Irish rugby. Uh, when it comes to your psychology looking at a year like this, are you somebody who's looking at the singular focus of the amazing moments that are possible from an Irish perspective and from an Leinster perspective, or are you more a process-driven individual? Um, I think I'd be guilty of being more process-driven. Um, I think we just there's, there's so much... Sorry, talking about it earlier I feel like repeating myself but there was, there's so much out of, out of a player's control whether it's injury form other guys coming into form selection so you mean to really get distracted by anything outside of your control it's just about focusing on, on what's in front of you in the next challenge and taking full advantage of the next opportunity whether it's in training um, and then if you're lucky enough in a game so you can't really get distracted I know it's a big year um, for for Ireland which which a lot of people are talking about and then obviously another big year for for the province but you don't really get too caught up in maybe what's been said externally you kind of focus on what works for you and and works for the group by keeping it in-house and and focusing on each each or the next challenge. Has that always been the case with you or did you have to learn to become a a process-oriented person? Um, I don't know I think from a from a personal perspective uh, coming up through under 20s and, and stuff like that I wouldn't have always been plain sailing and picked for some games and dropped for others and you kind of I think appreciate that worrying about stuff that's out of your control usually well it, it doesn't it doesn't bear much weight or it shouldn't bear much weight in, in your thought process so it's it's more important just focusing on preparing and working hard and then taking advantage of any opportunity that, that I'm given so um, I think most players to be fair would, would have that attitude and it's I think just with the nature of, of, of the game and how com- competitive it is with Leinster and co- competitive with, it is with Ireland, you can't really afford to do anything other than that, you know, that sort of way. Two lose this weekend for Leinster. Have you found this year tougher from a Leinster perspective as a collective? Um, uh, I don't know whether you call it tougher. I think it's, it's just never easy every time in Europe. I've never played an easy European game. Um, the preparation that goes in, um, the opposition that you're playing against, it's always incredibly tough and it's no different with, with Toulouse. Obviously getting beaten by them over there um, I mean, just shows that, that if you are off the ball that, that um, you can, you know, they can pick you apart and, and ultimately beat you. So it's, it's, our, it's our job to, to try and reverse that, that previous result. I'm sure from your own personal perspective, maybe you haven't reflected on this either, but uh, certainly things have been written about you. It's been uh, an excellent season from you personally, uh, performance-wise, but also you get the sense watching, you know, I'm not privy to the conversations that are happening, that you've been kind of pushed more into a leadership circle within the Leinster camp. I guess with Isa leaving the team last year, everybody had to step up a little bit when it came to, to leadership. Is that a conversation you've been having with, with Leinster coaches that perhaps one day you, you're looking at a potential captaincy role or something like that? No, not at all. <laughs> um, I wouldn't be wouldn't be looking at it like that. Um, I think with Issa gone, you definitely lose a voice. But but Johnny's been brilliant in, in stepping up as as club captain, and you know, he's there with with Reese Ruddock and, and Luke McGrath and even Rob Carney just there. Um, gone against Ulster, there's there's still some unbelievable leaders in the group that that I'd still pay attention to and, and listen to every word. And I mean they've incredibly valuable experiences that that picking their brains and, and listening to what they think and how they assess 
situations and games and circumstances that that you can learn from. Um, I think for me personally, I think um, Stuart and Leo and, and Phil would would always encourage. It doesn't matter whether you've. 100 caps or one cap encouraged to to speak up and, and have a point of view so um, I don't know I don't think of me personally trying to step up more I think he'd encourage every player uh, to I mean to, to be a better leader um, so that's that's one of the focuses they've had they'd have for, for everyone really Do you feel that you've got more confidence in some of the individuality you can bring to the Leinster team there's a lot written about uh, you stepping into the 10 channel for one of the tries against Wasps in the RDS uh, a few months back is that something for example you might have been able to do last year having having the ball to say Johnny step out of the out of the way for a moment this is my ball No I, again I think it's you wouldn't really think about it like that it's just about doing what, what you can that's best for the team um, and you I mean someone like Johnny because of, of how good a player he is he's constantly targeted so I mean Stuart would encourage not just me any player to step up and, and be able to ball play so it wouldn't you wouldn't overthink it or it would never be a matter of telling the 10 who's there to step out of the way it's, it's not really like that it's just you play what's in front of you and if there's an opportunity to attack you you take it so um, you wouldn't overanalyze it or think too much of it all really it's, I think it only happened once or twice so um, it wouldn't. It's not that really big of a deal. The last thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, 12 months ago. We were sitting here and you were chatting about uh, your college course. You're graduated now, are you? No, no, we're still <laughs> no, there. I'm still going. Um, not much has changed. I've just completed a few more modules since the last time I was talking to you here. So, UCD uh, are incredibly helpful at supporting me, especially over the the year that's been and how hectic and manic it's been. Um, you know, it's great fact that I'm there and I feel lucky to be to be working with UCD and how helpful they are um, so they kind of would facilitate and you still have to sit the exams so there's no getting out of that you still have to put in the hours of study and stuff but if it's assignments that you might get an extension um, or if you have to if you have to sit an exam in a different place they'll supply an invigilator that'll bring the paper to you and you can sit the exam in a team hotel or something like that so I don't think I'm progressing and nearly there. There's another semester or two to go, but I, I certainly wouldn't have got this far if it wasn't for UCD's help. And I guess as well, it helps to have that sort of routine outside of the training pitch as well, that, that sort of uh, routine day-to-day. It hasn't changed too much from last year, which was a pretty good year for you. Yeah, well, it's easy to say now. It's nice to have the distraction, but then when you're going into an exam, you're thinking, oh, why am I doing this? But now in... in the grand scheme of things it's it's always good to have something like that going it certainly is well best of luck this weekend and best of luck with the next few months Gary Ringrose thanks a million thank you that's uh, PwC Ambassador Gary Ringrose in conversation with Owen Shehan during the week there you can check out that full piece up on our YouTube channel as well plenty of comments in on the rugby Darren Cleary has joined us in the studio morning to you Darren good morning Adrian uh, we've picked out some from YouTube here uh, not all of them um, can be read out on air Adrian McPartland says Ty Byrne will be ahead of Henderson once the World Cup comes along uh, hashtag OTBM. We might get some more of those before uh, we leave you at the end of the show. But Darren, you're kicking us off with the news that we discussed a little bit earlier about Andy Murray and potentially the end of his career. Yeah, he was heartbroken last night when he addressed the media. He had to stop, go out, compose himself and then come back and start the press conference. But Andy Murray has announced he will be forced to retire at some, some stage this year. A debilitating hip injury has left the former world number one in constant agony. And the Scot says he has no choice but to finish up. The 31-year-old will try and play through the pain at the Australian Open. But a tearful Murray has admitted his days are numbered. Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's, there's a chance of that, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure I'm able to to play through the the pain, you know, for another four or five months. Um, I have an option to 
you know, to, to have another um, operation which will allow me to, to have a, a better quality of life and be, be out of pain. Um, you know, there's, there's little things like, you know, day-to-day that are, that are also a struggle. And, um, yeah, it would be nice to be able to do them, um, you know, without any pain, putting shoes on, socks on, you know, things like that. God, when it's that bad, you assume that it's a pretty. It almost becomes a pretty straightforward decision that, like, if he's struggling to put his shoes on, he's got a, his kid, isn't he? Yeah, right. I'm not sure. I mean, anyway, that sort of stuff that you're suddenly you realise that actually this just isn't worth it anymore. Yeah, I mean that kind of chronic pain. You'd wonder, is it even worth one last crack? I mean, like, he spent two years trying to even get back to a position yeah. where he's playing any kind of tennis at mm-hmm. any level, and it's just. It was heartbreaking to watch him because you could he was a broken man. He was broken physically by it and you could tell that mentally, while he had kind of made his decision, he hadn't come to terms with it because mm. he was still some way thinking he could get to Wimbledon. Well, he admitted even after saying, Wimbledon is where I'd like to get as far as I'm not getting to Wimbledon, lads. The operation that he's talking about there is not one to get him back in the court by the sounds of things. That's one just to give him a decent quality of life when he jacks in tennis. Yeah, he made the point that some players have come back, I, I think he called it a hip shaving. I think where they shave part of it down. I, um, he did say some players have got back, but it is not designed to rehab you from a sports point of view. Yeah. It's designed to get you out of chronic pain. Presumably he'll have a replacement at some stage. Like It's only a matter of when. You just don't want to get it too early in your life, obviously. Yeah. Still 31 years of age. He's still a very, very young man to be going through something like this. If you like replace this. it every 10 to 12 years, I think something like that. I've heard yeah, so the, speak about it before. Yeah. The longer you can keep it going, the better. But like again, just coming back to this idea that the horror stories these tennis players have of pain... like. The, the most famous one of this cliche at this point is, is just the Agassi chapters of yeah. the, the pain. He, like, he couldn't sleep in a bed, for example, had to lie on, on, a, on a hard floor. To Back just, pain, yeah. Exactly. It's, uh, it's such, such, a, such a tough kind of um, career path, although a lot of people out there this morning will be like, ah, he's got plenty of money to get it fixed. Yeah. Missing the point spectacularly. Mm. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not surprised that the Tottenham manager Mauricio Pochettino is among those being considered for the Manchester United job. The Argentinian is the favourite to be appointed the full-time successor to Jose Mourinho in the summer. Solskjaer is in caretaker charge until the end of the season. He's done his chances no harm by winning all games so far. The Norwegian has been asked about Pochettino's credentials. He's done a good job. I think he's one of the as you say, his that speculation is uh, is there for a reason because he's done well. Then again, it's not my job to uh, to rate all different different managers. It's uh, uh, my focus is on me and my uh, my team. Now, the Celtic manager Brendan Rodgers has warned Lee Griffiths that his time away from football should not be treated as a holiday. The striker was pictured at Newcastle races last weekend, prompting a response on Twitter. Griffiths said it was laughable to suggest he'd be on, on leave because of gambling or drug problems. He hasn't featured since the 5-1 Premiership win over Kilmarnock in early December. The Scottish international has been given time off by his club while he deals with what they have described as ongoing issues. He has since received... A public warning from his manager, Roger, says his time away from football should not be used as a holiday. Lee was off on health grounds, he's quoted as saying. It is not a holiday. It's very important that he understands why he is off and why he's been given the time off, why he has to maximise that time in terms of getting better. That's about getting specialist help and lying low and focusing on the simple things in your life that will allow you to be better. 
The big game tonight in the championship is Leeds against Derby County. Frank Lampard was forced to postpone a training session ahead of the clash after police detained a suspicious man lurking around the training ground. That's a file photo of a suspicious (laughs) man and not the suspicious man in question. Police say the man was in possession of a pair of binoculars, pliers and a change of clothes. There are some beliefs that he was intending to pass information on to Leeds and efforts are being made by police to establish if he was working on or on behalf of the championship leaders. I think when he was asked for his name, he said his name is Barcelo Mielsa, and uh, he managed to get away with that. He should have gone up a tree. Yeah, Kerry no, boys love a Yeah. Who was it, the Donegal lads, was it? Who was yes. up the tree that time? Uh, I, I, I like Clarity. how it was Jimmy Guinness himself. <laughs> Jimmy Guinness with a wig and fake glasses and the nose and the moustache and everything. They cut down that tree afterwards. Such was, such no was the way. impact, yes. Yeah. Right. It's, it's gone now. What they sort of a tree was it? Tree yeah. was it like a little flimsy tree or was it a big oak? Ah, there's no flimsy trees in Clarny, Adrian. It's the most disrespectful <laughs> oh, thing you've ever said. Jesus Christ, I mean, there are levels of progress. There are no flimsy trees. If nothing else comes out of today, there are no flimsy trees in Killarney. It was a tough oak and uh, a tough man to go up those trees, I tell you. The Arsenal manager Unai Emery says they will not be buying any players this month. The Gunners are looking to sign a centre-back and a winger. They are preparing for the FA Cup fourth-round tie at home to Manchester United on the Europa League last 32 game against Bate Borisov next month. But after spending upwards of £75 million in the summer window, Emery conceded that the cash will not be splashed this month. Meanwhile, in rugby, Ross Byrne will start it out half for Leinster's Champions Cup clash with Toulouse this weekend. A calf strain suffered in the loss to Munster means Johnny Sexton will not be risked. The veteran out half is still struggling with that injury. Leinster senior coach Stuart Lancaster is confident Ross Byrne can deputise. 100%. I mean, he played, he played in Europe last year. You know, it wasn't like he didn't play in any of the European games. He played the European games. He started against Munster in the Pro 14 semi-final. You know, Johnny didn't play at all that game. He's benefited from being sat underneath Johnny now for two or three years. So he's a leader, he runs a show, um, his kicking game is excellent, he's ready, 100%. That's, uh, yeah, Stuart Lancaster, the Leinster senior coach there. He, the last of his uh, leader's questions with Stuart Lancaster, by the way, you can check that out on News Talk. Tomorrow morning from 9 o'clock, he's going to be in conversation himself and Ger with Bill Bezik, who's a performance coach who's worked with a lot of really interesting characters, including Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane. So uh, it's the last in a series of six and it's uh, on your radio from 9 o'clock tomorrow, and you can also check out the full pieces on the Off The Ball social channels. Meanwhile, Conor Murray says unfounded rumours that he had failed a drugs test took a toll on his family. A neck injury sidelined the scrum half for five months in a bid to protect his medical information. Details of his progress and return date were kept under wraps by the province and Murray. In the absence of information, rumour and lies spread around. Murray says he was hurt by what he called crazy rumours that he was out of action due to a drugs ban and said they had an effect on his family. All right, that's it, Darren. That's me. Thanks a million. Cheers for that. Uh, it is five to nine on this Friday morning. We're going to have our panel coming your way. It's myself, Owen, Ger, and Nathan are going to join us in the studio. We may have recorded a little bit earlier in the week to uh, look ahead to 2019, to gaze into our uh, crystal ball. And also on the way is going to be Gary Breen to look ahead primarily uh, to United Spurs, which is a game that will be live on Off the Ball this Sunday. But before all of that, Kevin Kilban was the special star guest on the Keith Andrews show uh, yesterday. There was loads of interesting stuff, all of which you can check out over on offtheball.com. But here is uh, Kev on the pressure that came with playing football in Sunderland. I went there, I didn't enjoy it. Didn't didn't enjoy it wasn't so much I didn't enjoy the people thought don't enjoy the area, the people. It was nothing like that. It was just a scrutiny you were always under. I mean I'd signed and I remember I had a supporter, I was with my wife at the time. We went out for a meal. It was around about Christmas time when I signed because there was no deadline at the time. It was actually the last window before the deadline came in. 
so or transfer a transfer window come in, should I say? Um, so I signed around Christmas time, and I had a Sunderland fan that just came in and sat beside us. Like I felt like he was just entitled to sit with us and, and have a meal with us. It was round about Christmas. I think it was between Christmas and New Year. Just sat with us. You mean at your table? At our table, twenty minutes asking asking me questions, and we were looking like I, I didn't want. You don't want to say, "Look, excuse me, mate," but that's why you're too you nice. Yeah, but it's right. But it was like there was just. A, 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 I felt as though it was you were owned. I was going to say there's a sense of entitlement. You were owned. Belong to us. You were owned. Wherever Came you went across in the documentary. Wherever right you right. went across mm. the northeast, and I mean it honestly. And I've, I've had it at various football clubs. You've been at. You know, you you, you played for a, a big club in Everton. Played at Derby, another big club, say Champions level. West Brom, another big club. But there, it was like going around the supermarket. People, people actually, well, you should be putting that. You should, you should be putting that in your in your trolley. <laughs> So I was like, mate, and I, and I spoke, and it wasn't, and it's not just Sunderland. Yeah, I, I, up there. I've spoken to lads. There's no vegan diets then, um, but I've spoken to lads that played at Newcastle and lads who I would know, and it was pretty much same. same. Didn't didn't enjoy, and it's nothing. It, it's just I felt as though personally the scrutiny that you're under when you're going out for a coffee in an afternoon, whether you were um, going shopping, whether you're going out for a meal with your partners, wives, whatever it would be. I just felt as though it was too much. Yeah, that's uh, Kevin conversation with Keith yesterday. You can check out that full thing on offtheball.com. Gary Breen, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. Was that your three years at Sunderland, I think? Was that your experience of the uh, intenseness that comes with playing at a club like that? Uh, you're certainly aware of it, but I didn't have any scenarios like Kev said there about people coming up to me. I'm not sure if they were, if I was particularly welcoming in terms of coming up to me in my private time as such. But it's a great place to play football, but that's the pressure that comes with it that. When it's a one-club city um, like Sunderland, like Newcastle, then everyone is on you as such. So if you do walk out, they want, they want to come up to you. But as, Kev, as Keith said there and as Nave said there, Kev is so welcoming to everyone as such. And probably that's why they felt they could sit down with him and when he's having a meal with his wife, I'm not quite sure if it would last 20 minutes for me. <laughs> I think that's the thing that most people were asking themselves yesterday. Did you just uh, finally on it? Did you? Because a lot of people would have seen. I don't know if you watched the Sunderland documentary on Netflix, but a lot of people would have seen it. Um, and it does seem like it's a pretty intense thing. Even in the last episode, it's Chris Coleman sort of leaving the club, and a fan comes up to him, and there's almost a physical fight between the two of them. Like it does seem like a very different football environment, maybe than a lot of other cities. Yeah, no, I've not seen that documentary yet, and I'm looking forward to watching it. But my experience of it was um, a great time, coupled with a really bad time, because Mick McCarthy overachieved in terms of getting us back in the Premier League and was hung out to dry. We had £3 million to spend on players, which included their wages. I remember a story when we played Chelsea early on in that Premier League season that Mick McCarthy was telling that to Jose Mourinho. He started bursting out laughing. He said, it's, it's ridiculous. And and then, and then all the feel-good factors you built by winning the championship so comfortably as we did, goes out the window because we were hung out to drive the supporters and frustrated. But I can understand it. it's, it's a fantastic club. It really is. And I would encourage any player to go and play in the North East. It's a wonderful place to play football, but it, it, it's not for the faint hearted. You have to be mentally strong to cope with the pressures. And then when it doesn't go particularly well, those supporters are demanding. Yeah. And when they sit down with you to sort of have, break bread, tell them to sling their hook. Um, United Spurs obviously is live on Off The Ball this uh, Sunday. You're going to be there, Gary, in the company of Nathan, I believe, uh, on Sunday. So we're looking forward to this game. And like, there's so much intrigue about it. The resurgence that's happening at United under Ola Gunnar Solskjaer, the Pochettino links with United, that battle potentially uh, for third and fourth here. Which camp are you in when it comes to Solskjaer? Are you in the, um, he's had a decent run, but he's not really played anybody yet? Or this guy is the Ferguson second coming? Um, I think 
ultimately, I'm, I'm that first part. I don't think he's had a body of work that merits getting a Manchester United job. That's not to say that he can't potentially do it in the future. But if you're saying to me in terms of do you take Solskjaer or do you take Pochettino potentially, I know we're we're um, guessing whether or not he is the next manager. Then Pochettino's body of work, his record is far superior to Solskjaer, far superior to many of the players, sorry, the managers linked to Manchester United, bearing in mind that he's been doing it in the Premier League. Solskjaer's done brilliant in terms of finding a system that suits those Manchester United players. Ultimately, it's attack because they can't particularly defend well and it suits the club's DNA and he's been quick to, to play along to it in terms of attacking is our strength. But what is incredible and what is fascinating about all of this is that obviously the Manchester United hierarchy have to make sure that they're putting plans in place now to find a permanent manager in the summer. Now, there's no way in my mind that they're not doing this right now. But the very fact that Ole Gos, um, Solskjaer is doing so well this, and people are saying, well, listen, can he potentially get the job? There's no way that those Manchester United hierarchy can be caught in other managers and saying and doing all the work behind the scenes and then saying to them, hold on a minute, listen, just hold fire a little bit here because Solskjaer's doing so well. Mm-hmm. They're not going to accept that. They want to know now whether or not they're going to get the job. Now, I think they'll be delighted with what he's done in terms of getting a feel-good factor back to Manchester United. But if he was to continue winning, it puts them in a really difficult position because the fans don't care about his his body of work. They want to know that they've got a man, manager who's synonymous with Manchester United. So I think it's a difficult one. I think you're looking past histories in terms of managers getting jobs that they didn't warrant, the likes of Roberto Di Matteo getting the Chelsea job on the back of winning the Champions League. That proved to be a wrong decision. You can argue then in the flip side of that is that Southgate gets the England job with no body of work that suggests he should have got it, but has made an absolute success of it. So it's difficult. The only thing I will say is that this is a massive test for him now against Tottenham. United have been brilliant in those five games. Of course, they are attacking football, but Tottenham will ask questions of them that those previous five games didn't. Just on that managerial change, if it is going to be a managerial change for Manchester United this summer, they need to make a decision soon for the reasons you've just outlined. When do you think that decision needs to be made? Is it at the back end of the PSG tie? And I guess if they've beaten PSG at that point, do you automatically say to Solskjaer, that's good enough, we're on track for top four potentially as well. Uh, You get the job or what do they do? How do they react? Because I presume they'll have to make a decision maybe in a month. Well, this is the problem. And if you think about this hierarchy at United, they have not been decisive enough. They weren't decisive enough when Pep Guardiola came out of his sabbatical and ended up going to Bayern Munich. They weren't decisive enough when they were flirting with Pochettino a couple of seasons ago. With hindsight now, that would have been the time to bring him in. So I don't know what they're going to do. I think the very fact that Solskjaer is doing so well and suddenly the United fans are buying into it puts a lot of pressure on them because ultimately, if Pochettino was to get that United job in the summer and Solskjaer has done so well... It's going to put massive pressure on him. This is a massive rebuilding job. There's no doubt about it. And there'll be a few bumps in the road. And as soon as that happens, those United fans will start saying, well, why didn't we give it to Solskjaer? He understands United. So it's a real difficult one. I think ultimately, if Pochettino was going to take over from Mourinho, it needed to be a clean break. It needed to be instant so that the whole of the United faithful were backing him completely. So I think this has got a lot of um, twists and turns to go at the moment. But certainly in terms of leading into this game, I think it'd be a brilliant game. I mean, if United go ahead and beat Spurs uh, on Sunday, mm. maybe that rebuilding job, Gary, looks like a slightly less thing. I don't know. Um, what do you see in Pat Nevin was ominous during the week and like he was talking about the evidence of some of the work that uh, Solskjaer has been doing with the players because I'm assuming these are the conversations that the United hierarchy are having. You know, it's not, I suppose, solely a results-driven business for them uh, in this context. What are you seeing on the pitch that's evidence that Solskjaer could actually handle his job in the long term? Well, I've, I've, I've not seen it yet. 
I've seen what he's done in terms of his impact, in terms of cajoling all the players and making them happy and taking them away to Dubai and everything's great. And that's brilliant. Yeah. When, the, when the sun's shining and the birds are singing, these players will play for you. That was never the issue. It's whether or not they can cope in the intense demands for a winter period and stuff like that. So the honeymoon period has certainly suited Manchester United brilliantly. And that's not to take anything away from Solskjaer. He's identified what was needed and he's given those players exactly that. Now, if you're asking me, are these players, those same players capable of doing that in the long term to get Manchester United back to where they believe they belong? And ultimately, what we normally associate with them is at the top of the Premier League, competing at the highest table, the, the, the biggest table in Europe. I don't think they are. So, listen, what will what will be fascinating now going into these tough games, you've got the likes of Tottenham, Arsenal, the FA Cup, PSG, Liverpool as well. How do they cope with that type of pressure when they're up against better teams? And how will Skolska react to it as well in terms of the, the, the inevitable fact that they'll be under the cosh a lot more than they have been over the last five games? It is fascinating. If you're asking me to make a call now, no, I don't think they'll cope particularly well with it because I don't think they've got a good enough defence. The very fact that he feels that attack is the best form of defence is obvious. He has to play on the front foot because you can't you can't rely on that defence to keep teams out. And, and the, the real strange scenario is that Jose Marino recognised that and then started playing his midfielders as defensive midfielders when they're not good at that either. So he was compounding them out. At least Solskjaer said, well, listen, Pogba, go and attack and... He's, he's, he has certainly been rejuvenated. Yeah, and as you say, maybe that only sort of gets you so far. From Pochettino's point of view, before we leave that specific aspect of it, Gary, do you think that, like he's talking this week about, I'd like to be here for 20 years. I mean, I think that it's yeah. not like a, give me more money to spend on this team and I'll stay here for 20 years type conversation. Yeah. Like if United are approaching him now and they're sitting down uh, in a service station somewhere having a, in a little chef having a bit of a conversation with him saying, listen, this might be something that's on the table. What are you, uh, what would you be advising Pochettino to do? Does he stay at Tottenham, hopefully get a little bit of money and build them into ultimately a better team than United over the five or six years or does he jump? Well, listen, it's, it's very difficult to give any advice to him in terms of a success he's made of his managerial career. He's been spot on in everything he's done. Initially, he came in, into Southampton and a lot of people, pundits in England, high-profile ones associated with Southampton, were saying, well, who is this guy? And that's lazy. Go and look at his work. He was done at Espanyol. Impact straight away at Southampton, but recognise that there was a ceiling and went to Tottenham. Now, he's focused enough to think and and he's, I think he's, he, he'll know that when the ceiling's been reached at Tottenham, there's all well and good saying about this 20 years. That's highly unlikely. The very fact that Madrid, I don't see that really happening. I know people talk about Madrid coming in for you and you've got a decision to make, but I think this is a difficult time at Madrid. They're trying to rebuild, sorry, redevelop their stadium, which is going to cost in excess of 500 million. They've got a rebuilder team. They don't have the financial muscle of previous years. So it's a difficult one. I think you probably look at the Madrid scenario and think, well, listen, that's, that's a difficult one. And that's a job that comes around often. So he hasn't got to make a big decision on that. Mm-hmm. The United job is one that doesn't come around very often. So that is the big decision he has to make. But I think in terms of him leaving Tottenham, it'd be an absolute disaster. In terms of everything he's built there, if they lose him now, going into the new stadium, uh, I just don't think they'll recover. Yeah. From a United uh, point of view, by the way, it does strike me that the easiest thing for the United hierarchy would be if uh, United were to go on a losing run. That actually sort of makes up their mind a little bit uh, in a little bit more of a straightforward fashion. Um, you mentioned a bit earlier on about uh, Solskjaer's attacking policy. Do you expect that something that's something that will continue then? And it sounds like it does on uh, on Sunday. And who do you who do you think is going to win this one? 
Well, I think ultimately I look at the, the fact that Tottenham are so good in and around that 10 area. They, this, it's not a case of the old-fashioned 10 who stays in there. They rotate with Eriksen Ali, Kane even dropping in, Son, Sissoko from centre midfield. So the, that mood, that fluid movement will cause problems for United defensively. I know that they'll try and at, attack with the six players. Their, their full-backs will get in advanced areas. They'll try and pull two midfielders in front of the centre half, but I don't think they'll be good enough to stop Tottenham. Having said that, if you look at the qualities that Solskjaer has got in that United team and that's that pace up front Rashford through the middle Pogba breaking from they can punish Tottenham in a way that Wolves did at Wembley where they caught them on the counter attack but it's a difficult one to call it really is United have the players to punish Tottenham but I just feel that Tottenham have the team ethos the know-how over the four and a half years they've been with Pochettino to put this United team to the sword yeah, was one uh, point that we wanted to end on. on. Yeah, well, I guess uh, we haven't had you on since Christmas, Gary. And over the, the course of Christmas, there was a, a worrying run of form for Seamus Coleman, which eventually resulted in him being dropped by mm. Marco Silva. Uh, Kevin was saying on, on the show this week and at a media event that he needs to adapt his game to get to the next level. Would you agree with that? I think what ultimately, I, when I look at what's happened with Seamus, I think initially when you come back from a long-term injury, I think I said it to you guys before, the excitement of coming back, there's a natural high, you're great. But then there's a lull after that. And I think he's probably experiencing that a little bit now. I think it'll be difficult for him in terms of the fact that I don't think he's ever been dropped before at Everton. You know, he's always always been one of the first names on the team sheet. But if you're asking me, can he recover? I don't know him personally. But if I look in terms of his character and what I've seen him as a player, how well he took to that captaincy of Ireland, that he's a leader, then I think he will recover. But it's a challenge that we've all faced when you get a little bit older. That, you, that you've got to cope with, that your body has changed, you, you have to adapt your game slightly. Of course you do. And we'll have to see whether or not he's able to do it. But if you're asking me, do I feel and do I back him to do it, then absolutely. All right, Gary, we did want to talk to you about Declan Rice, but I'm sure you won't be disappointed here that we've uh, run out of time on that one. I'm sure it'll be uh, back in the agenda at some point over the next few weeks as well. Thanks, William. Enjoy the games over the weekend. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Gary Breen on the line there previewing the uh, weekend's action. David Mannion on YouTube says, Leinster and Munster to win, Ulster to lose, hashtag OTBAM. Can I have the tickets? But he's asked nicely. He's asked nicely. I mean, I'm tempted by that, but it'll be in the lap of uh, Tommy David, so we'll see. We'll bring that winner before the end of the show. Just one of the thoughts I had on what Gary was saying there, in terms of if the offer comes in from Maurizio Pochettino from any club, like you have to say yes at this point, no matter what Daniel Levy offers, I think. Because I, I, I think in the, in the short term, we're talking two, three years. Well, you're talking about United Madrid, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Like ultimately, I don't know, it, it's, it's stupid to compare a managerial career to, to a playing career, but if Seamus Coleman had his time back, would he be as loyal to Everton as he had been, for example. I know that the injury came at a very bad time and maybe his loyalty would have been tested a little bit more. And also you wonder how strong the injury. approaches at any point for Seamus Coleman were. Like we maybe don't know, but a factor. as a general point, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, as I say, it's, it's not ideal comparing to a player because age gets in the way and injuries can happen. But I think it kind of applies to a manager that a lot of these careers do end in failure or at least a lot of these times that a club does. Mm-hmm. Maurizio Pochettino is an outstanding football manager but ultimately, could the expectations of Tottenham Hotspur exceed to the point where his room for failure becomes smaller and smaller and smaller, and ultimately that one chance of keeping himself in that top rung of, of worldwide managers disappears and his chance to manage Real Madrid or Manchester United goes with it? That conversation is uh, predicated on whatever Daniel Levy is saying to him in terms of his potential uh, pot to buy players, I think. That's really the only thing that's standing in the way of... He's got an exceptionally 
talented group of Tottenham players. He's hardly added to him in the couple of, couple of years that he's been there. But I do think if I'm Pochettino, I'm saying, listen, I need some money because we need to kick this. If we're going to win the Premier League, I need some money. Is that there? Or Are is we not there? underestimating the amount of money that Tottenham require? They didn't sign anybody last summer. Mm. It's not like they made no, but cheap so, signings. So is that not then the evidence that actually to win the Premier League they do need to make some signings? And oh no, I, I, I agree, but are we underestimating the number of signings that they, they need to make potentially? No, I don't, I don't think there's too many players to be bought, but I do think they need to add some if they're going to win that. Uh, I did uh, listen to the Peter Crouch podcast. I don't know if you've uh, listened to that. It's definitely worth listening to, but he uh, says that he had a conversation with Daniel Levy at the time that he left Tottenham to go to Stoke, that he didn't want to leave at all. And he said, I'm with Daniel Levy and said, listen, um, I don't want to go. And actually, I ain't gone. He had two years left to run his contract. They were bringing in Adebayor, I think, at the time. And uh, Daniel Levy said, ultimately said to him, well, if you don't go next season, you're not getting a squad number. Make up your mind. And uh, Crouchy said, listen, I mean, maybe, maybe I'll reverse that decision. Maybe, maybe Stoke yeah. isn't such a bad place after all. He's been there for eight years. Um, well worth checking out. Yeah, for sure. That, that sounds like a moment. But like, I'm, I'm just kind of making the point that you, you go from zero... A million pounds spent to whatever is required. So, like you're, like you're, you're basically injecting seventy million straight away to get the quality of player that's yeah, required. Yeah, which is not a lot in for winning the Premier League of the Champions League. And then you add, a, you add a second player. So Daniel Levy basically increases his transfer spend. If you're going to save two sixty million players, for example, mm. goes from zero to one hundred twenty million pounds to create a title-winning squad mm. on the back of building a new stadium. I'm not convinced that an investment is going to happen. Uh, off the ball we're going to preview the Dublin Racing Festival from the Sugar Club on Thursday January 24th and you have the chance to be there we have an all-star lineup uh, from the world of racing and beyond including Niall Quinn is going to be there Nicky English will be there Davy Russell Rachel Blackmore Patrick Mullins alongside Kevin Caban Johnny Ward Jared Gilroy and John Duggan so Castle Thousands and Castle Stars as well we're going to be previewing the Dublin Racing Festival which promises to be a massive uh, weekend taking place at Leopardstown. It's the 2nd and 3rd of February. It's all with thanks to the Dublin Racing Festival at Leopardstown Racecourse. Uh, you can get your tickets for the festival now at leopardstown.com. So that is uh, all of that stuff. Loads of comments coming in. We'll bring you the winner of our tickets for Leinster to Loose before the end of the show. But before all of that, uh, we gazed into our uh, crystal ball for 2019. Yesterday afternoon, Jaron Nathan joined uh, Owen and myself in studio. We uh, looked ahead to predict the biggest sporting events of 2019. We're just asking that you don't hold us to any of this. Hey, welcome back to Friday's OTB AM, where we've got a studio full of people that were handy. So it's we've done the sort of raiding the RTE canteen job. Nathan, Owen and Jer are along. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening to all of you. How are you? It's the segment that we're describing as the sort of leftovers from the Christmas where we'd phenomenal ideas pre-Christmas, just too many of them really to get away before the Christmas period. And this is a bit of a, a New Year hangover. You're taking the piss now. It's what date is it today? The 9th? 10th? 11th. It is yeah, Friday, Friday the 11th of January. January. Sometime between sort of 8 and so 9 o'clock. doing your New Year's predictions panel. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what we're doing, in case you've missed that part of it. It's an opportunity well, for us were working last week and some others, so uh, we, we missed out on yeah, the first we, week of We've been here? Oh, I've been, uh, uh, I have been here. Right. Don't you worry about that. How many shows have you done in the last three months, Adrian? Well, I mean, I was back at it and back in the studio from Wednesday, actually, as it turns out, this week. Um, uh, let's not get into too much detail. I, uh, I, 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 had, I had proposed last week that we, put, we buy some balloons and uh, marking a return to the office. Well, that was your, uh, that was, we've missed you. Sorry, that was his first proposal. His second one was a giant poster with, have you seen this man? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, the good thing about Nathan's ideas is uh, generally are that they never actually find sort of manifest themselves in any way other than no, just we, we, we spread it around so. the office every yeah, yeah. We, we all enjoyed that. We're 20 minutes entertained. Like, that's very appropriate. Good. Well, enough taking the piss out of me because what we're going to do is uh, get your thoughts on predictions on the year ahead as to sort of who's going to win the various tournaments. Major tournaments, really, what we're sticking to here. We're not going to into too much sort of detail about the no, FA Cup or FA Cup, Carabao Cup, any of that kind of good stuff. Well, um, obviously. So we're going to spend an allotted amount of time, a um, short amount of time on each of these topics, and we're going to run through them. We're going to get your rationale, we're going to get your predictions, and um, we're going to kick things off with the uh, Premier League, Nathan, as our resident Premier League uh, commentator. They've overhauled City now, and a good chance at Liverpool. This is a bit of a procession for them, really. I wouldn't say a procession, but I think they'll win the league. Without, I'd, I'd be very... Any chance that they do in Newcastle here, given the, given the period of time that's been between drinks? Uh... No, I, I don't think it's going to be because of the pressure. The only thing I think that could stop them is that City are so good. City could win 15 games in a row between now and the end of the season and may just make it impossible for Liverpool to overhaul their points tally. But Liverpool have played the vast majority of the best teams away from home already. They have to go to Old Trafford, that's it. The Spurs and Chelsea left to come to Anfield. They are 14 from 14 against the teams outside the top six. So you would expect them to keep that up. And at home for the last, what, nearly two years at this stage, they're unbeaten. So I just think the Anfield factor is going to see them over the line. They've got a good run of fixtures over the next five, six weeks. They're out of the FA Cup. They're n- they've come through the busiest part of the season until the City game on Scade. And I, I, I don't think it'll be a procession, but I think they'll win this league. I don't want to say comfortably. We were just about to say comfortably. By five or six points. That's comfortably. I think Liverpool by six as well. I ah, think here we all think Liverpool are going to win the league. This is crap. Yeah. This is the worst segment. And <laughs> we get through this one quickly. Bear with us. The AM ever. Unfortunately, so I, w- I wish there was sort of a, a sticking point here. But the fact is, Manchester City's depth is overrated. Playing Laporte at left back when Fernandinho went, Gundogan can't do that job. That was the thing we learned from Christmas time. And Liverpool do have depth. Maybe a version of that guy gets injured and they're screwed. But uh, attacking wise, they've got plenty of options. I would say even uh, plenty of options to go six, seven, no, eight points. Van Dijk gets injured, they're screwed. Well, that's what I just said. Like, that's that's what's the one player that they don't have a uh, backup to that's, that's equally good, and Alisson, I guess. So no, maybe, maybe, maybe there's another... Any, any blabber note? Any prognosis on him? If Virgil van Dijk gets injured tomorrow, they have a problem. But if Gomez is back and Matt Tieper back and van Dijk ends up missing a month of the season later on, they'll do okay. They'll be able to survive. Mm. The confidence, the team, the Jenga piece that he is starting plays I just think that his, the, he injects confidence into the team in the way that very few other individuals have a similar impact on their team in world football at the moment it's hard to disagree but I still feel that even before Van Dijk was there Liverpool at home were quite good they don't have a huge amount of difficult fixtures left if City go on and win every, every game between now and the end of the season they'll win the league mm. by only about two points though they do have Manchester Derby to come, which is an energy-sapping thing. It comes in around the Champions League ladder stages as well. There's a possibility that that sort of that they at some point sort of fade off and actually concentrate on the Champions League. I don't know if they'll ever fully fade off and concentrate in the Champions League, but again, you look at the next five, six weeks before Liverpool play United at the end of February. Chelsea have to play both Arsenal and Chelsea, so. Even a couple of draws, That's even drop points boring. there. City of uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, Come on. Home, yeah, for the first time. We've all agreed it's it's a, clean Liverpool. a clean sweep of uh, Liverpool is what we're going there. Liverpool all the way. I, don't, I hope we don't get consensus in all these categories. It's on to the uh, Champions League. One English winner in the last decade. Hang on, how does the TV know what I picked already? La- last five winners 
uh, have all been from Spain, Ger. Is that going to continue? No, Liverpool are going to win the Champions League. All right. Yeah. I, to, I was told my predictions were, were wild, but... Uh, That's not a wild prediction. Give us your, give us your rationale. I think that um, this is a team that has benefited from the experience last year. I mean, I was definitely of the, the view that if they were struggling the last day, they should throw the game and get out and just concentrate in the league. But now I've decided, screw it. Like, what's the point of being in these competitions except to win it? Um, they have a dynamism about them that I think the two-legged nature of everything up until the final is something that they, have, um, they benefit from. There's a brains and... and just a sense of understanding how games ebb and flow. For example, if they had to play Manchester City again in a second leg after the defeat last week, I would, I would back them to go through at this point. Um, isn't, isn't it ridiculous to suggest that Liverpool are going to win the Premier League and the Champions League this season? Well, I'm going to be right about one of them. <laughs> this isn't a, I mean, the... Don't hold me to account on all of these. You're asking for predictions. <laughs> We're not going to get everything right, so I may as well be gloriously wrong in one of them. <laughs> Barcelona are going to win the Champions League. And uh, it kind of has to do with the idea that Liverpool and Manchester City, in my view, are just incapable of doing so this season. I think Liverpool are going to become preoccupied with the Premier League. They talk about the, the idea. Now. Well, I, I, I can speak among uh, I can speak among these people. Uh, I, I do believe that you know we talk about the the whole idea of history bogging this Liverpool team down. I think the one thing that's going to bog this Liverpool team down is the obsession with this year's Premier League. Jurgen Klopp didn't care that they got knocked out of the FA Cup, and not for one second am I comparing the FA Cup to the Champions League. But I do believe there is a singular focus on the Champions League from a Liverpool perspective which isn't going to serve them too well in Europe, particularly if they're well in the running going down the line. But also, it's quite simple. If you've got a team that's got Messi, Suarez and Ousmane Dembele, who's finally started firing for Barcelona, then you've got a pretty good chance. The one thing is, can they get Philippe Coutinho back into some sort of form or finally hit some sort of purple patch uh, for Barcelona? Then they're onto something. Like, I, I, I do have reservations, and I can see why people have reservations about maybe the midfield. Are Vidal and Arthur actual Champions League winning? Are they part of a Champions League winning midfield? And also, who's going to partner Piquet at the heart of the defence? I disagree with both of them. This time last year, I thought Liverpool would go deep into the Champions League because their style of play was so well suited against better teams. This season, they've sort of flipped their style of play. And actually, I think it suits better against the weaker teams in the Premier League. But actually, they're a bit smarter, they're a bit more controlled against quality opposition like they will face in the Champions League. I don't think they're going to go in this blitz that they went on at the end of last season. And that's, I think they'll just be outdone by somebody along oh. the way. Who's going to win it, is the question. Atletico Madrid, I think, are going to win it. Right. I cannot go along with Barcelona. I've seen a lot of them in the Champions League. They're a disgrace at the back. They are an absolute shambles. PK and PK anymore. Defensively. Mm. PK and PK, Busquets ain't Busquets. And the midfield, if Busquets ain't Busquets, Arthur... PK's Rakitic, a business mogul who owns it, tennis. They're not near it. Like, it's well, the top of the Liga. Now, there is the messy factor, which is he could, once again just show that he's the greatest player of all time and single-handedly destroy team after team after team. Which, if he does, brilliant. Sometimes, we sometimes all want to see predictions it. are a simple game. We'd all, we'd all want to see it. Whoever comes through Atletico Madrid, Juventus. And I think Atletico Madrid will. We're having four different predictions here. City is my pick for a lot of the reasons that I said about the Premier League, and I concur with a lot of your thoughts about Liverpool. That I think that uh, singular focus is the way forward for them this year. I think that uh, City, at some point, maybe three or four games to go in the Premier League season, will be out of it. They'll concentrate at the Champions League. It's unthinkable that Pep gets the end of a third year with only one significant trophy to his name is probably a big part of my rationale. They've also had such an easy run up to this point. Uh, Half and I and some of the shit teams in their group, Schalke, obviously in the, the last 16, won't have taken a huge amount out of them. And I think that um, that's my rationale. I think Pep getting to the, the end of his third year at City, having won only one major trophy, would be an absolute failure.
and I can't see it happen. It's probably going to be none of those four, is it? Four different picks, I like it. It is a team that won three of the last four. Or three in a row. Uh, we're <laughs> shock horror. We're, uh, shocked as Real we're shifting sports here on. We're moving on to the uh, Six Nations. I mean, we could, on the evidence of November, internationals be seeing an England resurgence here, but what way are you going? Well, England coming to Dublin means. It's, it's Ireland's easy year. They're going to win the Six Nations. They're probably not going to win the Grand Slam just because I think our card is marked by everybody. So where do they come a cropper then? Uh, Principality Stadium. They're going to lose to Wales. And it's such an easy answer, but there's a reason why it's an easy answer. It's because like, when it comes to our easy year, like we've obviously managed to do it in, in 2009, getting the win there on the last day over the campaign. And they're every sort of element you speak of in terms of comparing man for man uh, to, of Ireland to any other team of the Six Nations. We are clearly the superior team. I just can't see how how we can lose more than one game. And I think that one game is going to be on the road. I don't see us well, losing that's, in that's that That's the last game. So for the second year running, you're saying we'll have this thing wrapped up before we even get to the final yes. game? Yes. Wow. Yes. I think Ireland will win the Six Resident Nations. Resident rugby man. Wow. I mean, I'm just reading it's the examiner. a bit harsh on I'm just reading your article in the examiner this week and it said... Uh, rugby in particular was the phrase that it used. So. Did it? Yeah. Do you have an examiner column? There was an, a feature article on Look It Up. It's, it's, well, well, it's well, really, let's look this up. For a lot of reasons, it's <laughs> absolutely Your New Year's regime obviously isn't working so well since you got the photograph taken. <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs> wow! Wow! Shots Says the man who was straight out to the marketing department going, Are all our photos going to be Yeah, exactly. Oh, we're all interested in that question. By the way, if you haven't, if anybody out there has not read Nathan's piece in the Examiner this week, gave an interview to. The Examiner. Esther and the Examiner. Esther who? Ah, Nathan, I mean. You know. Don't be a dickhead. Um, <laughs> anyway, go and check it out. It's hard for him. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tangent, but it's a great piece. Ireland Please will win the Six Nations, but not the Grand Slam. Check it out, right? I agree with him. They'd fall at Wales. Post. Yeah, or possibly fall against England at home. I don't think it'll be that straightforward, particularly if Sexton comes a cropper. Yeah, we are managing. Wales, Wales are going to win the Grand Slam. Wales are going to win the Six Nations. I don't know about the Grand Slam. Um, I think Wales uh, have been quietly over the last eighteen months giving opportunities to countless players. They had a brilliant November series, which they never do. Um, Gatland has been no doubt looking at this uh, non-stop hagiography of Joe Schmidt going. Uh, hang on a second, I'm the best New Zealand coach coaching outside of New Zealand, and I have never once been linked with the All Blacks job. What the hell? Mm. But he's going to wait for the World Cup to do the ambush. I think he's going to have a slaloming run this year. A few oh. injuries coming in. Uh, Halfpenny I read this week is out for the first important player for them, obviously out for the first few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they actually now have enough strength and depth to be able to deal with uh, Lee Halfpenny missing. Um, just a, a quick word uh, as an aside on that. He was, he's still injured from that late tackle that wasn't a yellow card. There wasn't a red card from the November Internationals when that was outrageous. This is this is exactly why rugby is uh, struggling the way it is. Players like key players like that missing months and months and months with brain injuries as a result of uh, late tackles. It's like, yeah. come on! Yeah, I'm uh, going for Ireland as well. That's three versus one. I'm slam. going for Ireland as well. Uh, don't think they'll get the slam done. Probably go along with a lot of your rationale. Um, I do. There's one caveat for me, and it's if they pick up some injuries, which they're already going into the tournament with the likes of obviously Sexton and Henshaw. Um, and a few others, O'Mahony, a few other players with knocks. At some point or another, Schmidt might look to start trying to manage some of these players, obviously, with the year that's in it. I know the World Cup is a long way away, but he may look to start managing some of the players. That's my one little caveat about Ireland, that if halfway through the tournament, Sexton's walking around on one leg, 
there may be a temptation. Six Nations to, matters not y- at yank him out of there. Well, only we, for the we momentum, right? We, it's we, like, well, that's all bollocks. We all no? traditionally, well, we traditionally win these, don't we? No, but do you not? Well, did England not win it the year they won the World Cup and destroy everybody in front of the I think the message would send out seven. But do you not want? We were. Do you like, not want to go into the World Cup as? The best team of the world. People, everybody scared shitless of you, thinking, "Uh oh, no, this team has shown for the last eighteen months." Don't care. We nothing. can't get them. The, the, how you how you appear on the day of the match is what matters. All that stuff that goes before that is completely irrelevant for a team of Ireland's quality at this point. It's a, like Ireland hammering Scotland in the Six Nations means nothing the day of the Ireland Scotland game in the World Cup. Okay. Um, one vote for Wales. The third favourites, they are, because I looked this up, 9-2. to two. It's a good bet. Are you on it? I'm not, at the moment. Getting on it soon. Backing up your bet is what I'm asking here. Yeah, 100%. I would definitely. I, 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 that's a legitimate... Uh, I mean, Liverpool are not going to do the Champions League and Premier League double, but uh, there's a really good chance that Wales are going to win this thing. They've got Ireland at home. You've literally just said earlier on that they're going to win the Premier League <laughs> and the Champions League. Yeah, by it's the unlikely way. that they're going to do both. <laughs> They will do They're one of those. <laughs> They'll do one of those, and I'll be right at one of them. Which will make me. What we're going to take is the clip of him going Liverpool. There's no way Liverpool are going to win the Champions League and the Premier League double. Um, Champions Cup, Leinster seven to four favourites to win it. They've had a bit of a wobble, obviously. It's Saracens, Racing, and Munster in that order after them in terms of the finals. What odds are Munster? Uh, nine to one. So the final is this year in Bilbao. No, no it was in Newcastle Bilbao last year. You were there last year. Newcastle, Newcastle this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that it's going to be Munster that um, Joey Carberry is going to kick Munster to glory in the uh, European Cup final Do you like Joey Carberry, you do? And that um, well I would be much more happy about this prediction if I knew what the injury prognosis was for Chris Farrell um, when this was taping because in the meantime the news has come out about his injury and uh, so I just um, that would have been if, if they have a full deck I think that all of the issues they've ever had over the last three or four seasons, when they've been perilously close to winning this thing, like, they get hammered in a semi-final, everybody's, oh, they're miles behind. But actually, it fix a few little things. Um, and we see in rugby all the time, and those back-to-backs, that if you fix a few things from one week to the next, then you can affect a massive turnaround really quickly. I just think Munster are, at the moment, the most dangerous team. Hard for teams to defend the situation. That's in the most dangerous, the most likely to win the Champions Cup. Uh, from, from, from my money on. I just I'm say, I, I think win. if you're going against that Leinster pack in knockout rugby, it's absolutely ludicrous. Assuming there isn't just a barrage of bizarre uh, injuries, especially in the Tide 5. They, like, name any other team in Europe that can come close to Healy, Furlong, Sean Cronin, Toner, James Ryan. We've just seen Munster beat them. And we have in, in Thoman Park. We have like that. That is one caveat to all of this. Yeah. Not knockout rugby. Week. Not knockout rugby. No, sure enough. But like again, that seemingly did matter for sure. Yeah. I would not be judging Leinster on what we've seen up How until this point. To go back, fa- to back. It, like so, uh, Leinster have done it. Toulouse have done it. Um, Saracens did it. But like the greatest teams of all time do it. Mm. So what, what are you saying? I don't. I don't you're you're countering. I, I, well, I, I just can't really see. I, I, I can see why you have a hunch that Munster are going to win it. I just. Hey, well, you got to ask my prediction. I, I predict I, it. I, look, this is the man earlier on who said Liverpool are going to win the Premier League, the Champions League, but not I, both. I, I, I guess I'm kind of going against the actual whole point of this segment, but it's just. What are you saying? It's just, I, th- I think Leinster are so far in front of everybody still. You're not worried about the wobble. I think it, it actually gives me more conviction in what I'm saying here. 
I think an angry Leinster are an even more dangerous Leinster. An angry Johnny Sex in particular mm. is a very, very dangerous Johnny Sex. might not play again for, for Leinster in the competition. Chris Farrell really? may not play again for Munster in the competition. Johnny yeah, Sexton is far more important to Leinster yeah. than Farrell. This is the problem with making any rugby predictions, particularly ahead of a Champions Cup weekend. Both Leinster and Munster are probably going to end up, after the Six Nations, missing two players for their Champions Cup quarterfinal. And who's best equipped to deal with that? that? Like, and that could be any two players. Like if that's mm. if that's Sexton, well, if it's Amani and Murray, Munster are screwed. out. Yeah. But Whereas I think Leinster can take the injuries and you can trust them. To a point. Uh, Munster, everybody, full 15, fully fit, you would give them a fighting chance of beating Leinster even in a Champions Cup final. But one or two injuries and they've got a huge problem. Where I think, aside from Sexton, Leinster can take anything. Mm-hmm. Can take anything. So you're going now, I don't know if they'll go through the season and put in one of the greatest individual performances from any team we've ever seen, Adrian. But mm-hmm. hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they will get to that level actually again. Said that in any sport, in any sport. If somebody actually ever. said that, I love the way it's, it's actually morphed into something, some other bullshit. What, what, I, I, what, I what, what, was it in any sport? It was like it was after semi-final. Was it not the final? It was the final. It was the final. It was the final. Was yeah, it? was that the Aviva, yeah. Anyway, there was wine taken. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going with Munster as well. I mean, I, primarily because they're... Not, you're going for Leinster. Are you? was that your, for Leinster, yeah. The, primarily, Absolutely. the 9-1 to one thing is 100% lured me in and a lot of the same it's kind of just the best bet. It's who you think will win. Yeah, well, at 9-1, to one, I think Munster are going to win. But, um, yeah, look, I, I probably agree with some of that. But, I mean, you could, the points we're making about if Sexton is taken out of the Leinster team, but if a man is taken out of the Leinster team... to pick a foreign team? <laughs> like, one is? No? What did I say? There was Rassing. Saracens Rassing, the second and third favourites. But uh, yeah, no matter what any of those teams that you're talking about, you take out the most important players. What are to lose? They're lesser teams. I don't have to lose. I didn't get that far in my research. Sure, it was. Uh, All right. Well, I, I mean, had a few days. I got the call late last night. <laughs> 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 Literally had two, two months to prepare. For I thought it was. I thought it was going to be a contributor up to about half an hour ago. So right, um, okay, Jesus, there's the iron dirty laundry. Um, so two months for two Lancer. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go for it. The two Leinster men being coy and... It's, it is. It's I, one of the hardest ones to predict, and particularly pre the end of the pool stages. Yeah. It's, it's it, like... Well, that's very it. Difficult Look, to if call. Toulouse beat Leinster on Saturday, suddenly Leinster facing an away quarter-final, it's a very different, yeah. different look to the competition. Yeah. Right, Rugby World Cup. New Zealand. Woof. Well, straight off the bat, on. I mean, I thought we were going to get a clean sweep here of Ireland, but... Go on. The All Blacks. I agree, 100%. Ger? Just Wales. <laughs> We've moved on from the Six Nations. <laughs> no, well. I don't think they'll win both of them. But I think they're <laughs> right. I think they're more likely, I think that um, there's a chance that they don't win the Six Nations, but I think Wales are my dark horses slash this is the time for this one. But dark horses that might make a semi-final is no, no, I think that they, I think that like the institutional memory of what uh, this group have been through over the last while. <laughs> I just can't believe you actually believe Wales are going to win the Six Nations at the World Cup. What are Wales for the World Cup? Like... I don't think it's the worst shout ever. In that, Dick Owen, no, but I can Whereas Ireland are notorious underperformers, Wales are brilliant at overperforming in World Cup years. True. And just generally never get the respect or appreciation they that they deserve. Think, but they when do did they win it? Sorry, they don't overperform. They need to win it once. The, the, the red cards that Alain Roland gave to. Uh, the Welsh captain, whose name momentarily uh, Sam Warburton, completely ruins um, their chances of winning a World Cup when they were going to win that World Cup. There's a really good chance they would have won that World Cup. But they didn't. 12 to 1. New Zealand are evens, Ireland are 7 to 2. South Africa, England, and then Wales are 12 to 1. I think South Africa are a way bigger threat than Wales. 
way bigger threat. I think if, if Ireland are going to get knocked out, there's every chance we go out in the, in the quarterfinal again to South Africa, and it won't even be that. Yeah, big well, we've won. If if everything goes, we may have South Africa. Obviously, if things stack up the way we think they're going to stack up uh, in the quarterfinals, and after that, it's one of England, Wales, France, or Australia in the in the semi-finals. Like the one of the biggest things that goes against us is the baggage that we have from these tournaments. Like that, uh, South Africa won't necessarily have, or New Zealand won't necessarily have. If we meet them at that stage of the tournament, that. Uh, you know, for us, success is actually getting to a semi-final here. It's not. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. We've never no, been there before. If no, we've never no, been there before, no, shit. that represents success. If we get success. to a semi-final oh, and lose. the same argument about we should have We should have tried to get the draw against the All Blacks that time. It was like, oh, that would have been a success for us because we never got the draw against them before. It's nonsense. The well, only it's, thing that, is success it's, it's, so it's, is winning well, a World well, Cup or losing a close final to New it's Zealand. Not to Anything else is obviously, absolute failure. Obviously, winning... Uh, that's just not true. It is absolute failure like, for look, this team. That's subjective. That is absolutely subjective. Winning the it's World Cup. Clearly, clearly winning it's the World Cup. We're predicting the, the future. Clearly winning the, yeah, <laughs> clearly winning the World Cup is absolute success. But it doesn't mean that everything else is failure. But what I'm saying, the only thing... So there are possibilities you lose to South Africa by a point after the, old, the greatest World Cup game of all time where Ireland have a player sent off and yeah. they valiantly get beaten. But anything else for this group is failure and I think they look at it themselves that way it's probably a good thing for the players that it's far away in Japan and That's they can avoid yeah. maybe a little bit of the hype and things like that because I could see us scraping over the line first day out against Scotland and suddenly there's absolute panic stations that we're back well also we've also written out we're going to meet South Africa in the quarterfinals we're going to beat them yeah. they are the team that have run New Zealand closest mm. in the rugby championship over the next while the Six Nations I think is, we're going to know a lot more after the Six Nations in a way that we won't necessarily that you don't necessarily post the rugby championship because it tends to be a bit of a procession we'll know a lot more about our teams uh, post the Six Nations. Who are you going for? I'm going for Ireland. I'm so the only one in the group success. that's going for Ireland. I think that is. <laughs> Screw you on. One Ireland, two New Zealand, seven and to one. Two. Are they the odds? <laughs> uh, New Zealand evens Ireland seven to two. Yeah. It's not a, you know you're not getting great value for money for the no. amount of squeaky bum that has to happen. Mm. Uh, I just think, from an Irish point of view, like Rory Best at his age. Devin Toner's got a niggle for the first time ever. These are two key players of many that need to stay fit. Well, yeah, well, we're almost getting to a point where we can now post the last World Cup, almost afford to lose those, particularly Devin Toner. Can we? We can, yeah. Well, Devin Toner <laughs> may we? not, but Devin Toner may not even start. I think oh, after I the think All Blacks, after, I think he will. Look, I'm Argentina just saying, there's, I'm just saying there's, it's not, there's not a great yeah, fall-off. Yeah, no, in fairness, if Ian Henderson starts, nobody's shocked. Yeah. No, and Ty Byrne, potentially. Yeah, I don't think anybody's uh, It is 10 months away. Like Ireland, don't, Ireland need four, what, four big performances in the space of six weeks here, and then quarterfinal, semifinal, final, three in a row, mm. not picking up too many injuries, all that pressure, all those nerves. The baggage, the baggage Nathan, as may all people Pool D about. winner plays runner-up Pool C, which is going to be uh, England-France. So Australia are going to play England or France in the quarters... I mean, if you were listening two minutes ago... We're going to win that. <laughs> Wait, what? You told no. us this? Yeah. Who Australia playing this? And the no, I county. said that we're going to get one of England-Wales. It's, it's impossible after that to get into it. Well, if England win that pool... So it's one of England-Wales-France-Australia in the semis. I.e. we avoid New Zealand until the final, which everybody knows. Um, Unless South Africa beat them on the first day. I was in the, the process of making a beautiful segue there from talking about um, that to Mayo and into the uh, football championship for... 2019. Um, the question I want to ask is: In what year do you think Dublin will not win the All Ireland Football Championship? When do you see that next happening? I don't see it not happening. 
I just think it'll be a one-off freakish result. I, I think Dublin will win eight of the next ten All-Irelands. Kerry will win one, and somebody else will win one. I don't. It's impossible to make a case for somebody right now, head-to-head, -head beating Dublin. But it's not to say that in an All-Ireland semi-final, a, I don't want to say a freak result can happen, but Kerry could beat them, you Mayo can, could you beat can, them, Donegal could beat them. I, I think they're the only three. I think you can make the case, the, the, the best way to make the case is that Paul Flynn was a generational talent, that Jim McConnell was a generational talent, and that Bernard Brogan was a generational talent, and that actually the lads who are coming behind them have so far within the system, and because of the systemic greatness of the Dublin footballers and the lack of quality in the opposition that they faced have been able to just about grind out the All-Irelands when those lads have not been at their peak. So, the emergence of... Is Conor Callaghan as good? Like, let's Conor Callaghan is grinding, Who was grinding out All-Ireland? The Doves. They destroyed Throne last year. They got up against the against greatest some, Mayo team no, no opposition. there has been yeah, with, the previous two years. With, with Conley, with, uh, with the end of Brogan, and with Paul Flynn. And scraped through. Does that not prove the point that they scraped through, that they're not actually... Generally, but pumping teams. Out I don't think You're any team out the there right it's now. Possible to make the case is my point, right? But, yeah, but I, I would say there's no team out there right now that is at the level Mayo were at two years ago and three years ago. No, I mean, that's true. Physically, hang that's on a true. second. Hang on a second, though. Those Mayo teams underperformed. They they were not tactically astute. They did not do all the things that they were supposed to do. They missed freeze at key moments of the games. They, we have we have talked this Mayo team into a position of all-time <clears throat> all greatness on the basis of legend, when actually, if you were to coldly analyse, they made countless mistakes that I think that if James Horne had been the manager, they wouldn't have made, right? I just think that, like, uh, that we have retrospectively, because, because the games were so good and because they were so dramatic with the own goals and all that stuff that happened that we've accidentally talked Mayo into being the equivalent of Tyrone or Armagh in the noughties. No, we haven't. We, we have. No, we haven't. They won, no, they won All-Irelands. Nobody is comparing them to Tyrone or Armagh because they didn't win the All-Irelands. But you're right. They were within one kick of the ball of beating what many people feel was the greatest team of all time. I do agree that two years ago, 1-15, to Mayo, I think Mayo were a better team than Dublin, 1-15, to but didn't win it. But I don't think there's any team right now you could say 1-15 to is near this Dublin side. Well, like, you talk, you talk about the Dermot Connolly slash Bernard Brogan era, and you talk about the lack of... Uh, you, didn't, you didn't say this term, but if you want to subscribe to the theory of no generational talents coming through, well, forget that straight away, because two people who are, or three people who are still in their pomp that are automatic generational talents are Brian Fenton, Kieran Kilkenny, and Jack McCaffrey. There is no question about that. Then it's up in the air. Is Conor Gallen a generational talent? I suspect he might be. Is Brian Howard a generational talent? We don't know. I suspect he might we be. Don't know yet. Is Niall Scully a generational talent? Probably a rung below the other two lads, but every chance he could be as well. I you know, look at the backs. No, is Owen Merchant going to become a, a generational talent? There's almost no case to be no. made on a 1-15 to 15 basis that there's any team in the country that comes close to Dublin. 2021 is when Dublin are not going to win the All-Ireland next. <laughs> the seven in a row will be up for debate and Kerry are going to beat them in 2021. <laughs> well, Banty yeah. was in here on Saturday who reckons that... Uh, this Dublin era will come to an end over the next couple of years and then we'll be into the era of the great Kerry sides. That's not true either. That's not true. Du Dublin will never go away from being in contention every single year. This is just the new reality. Mm. I think the other thing that Dublin have done is that they've decided that they're going to control the games and the basketball style and that actually allows teams to get a foothold. Okay, so last year Tyrone didn't manage it, right? And nobody managed it because they didn't play anybody who were really good at any point across the season. Um... I think that if they had to play one of the Super 8 games away from, uh, sorry, two of the Super 8 games away from Croke Park, it might be interesting to see, because that game up in Oma was not a cakewalk for them. And that's the bit where you start to go, okay, they're just a human team. And maybe, maybe Tyrone this year can actually 
move forward. It'll be interesting to see if Kyle Coney makes it. I don't know if he's going to. Well, this is the thing. I do believe Dublin, they've, the gap is as big as it's ever been. 20, 2018 is the easiest All-Ireland the Dublin team will ever have. It's still going to be easy for them this year. I really believe that. But it's not going to be as easy last year, namely because they surely have to play Mayo or Kerry this year. Uh, and like if they played that Mayo or Kerry team last year, they would have put them far closer than Galway or Tyrone would have. And I don't care what anybody says about Galway walking over Kerry or Kildare being the much better team than Galway and Newbridge. Kerry and Mayo are still the second and third best teams in the country. Uh, Donegal are team number four. Uh, and team number four, you reckon, yeah? Yeah, and, and Galway and Tyrone, who were the semi-final and finals last year, are team push, five and six. Pushed them closer. You know, the, obviously, yeah. dominated Ulster last year. They were in, they were in the they group. They were in the Super 8 group, though, to be fair, of the All-Ireland kind of final, of both All-Ireland finalists. I know, but there are going to be injuries. Like, already, uh, Michael Murphy has had knee surgery at yeah. the start of the year this year. and Ryan McHugh is back in. The dream team, the managerial dream team is in place. I really like Donegal and what they did last year, but it is having absolutely everybody available. If Murphy's fully fit, McBrearty's fully fit, Ryan McHugh is fully fit, they can they could be the best of the rest. You need a bit of luck to challenge the dubs. Like, Mayo, to be fair, what big injuries do they have the two years they pushed them? Whereas last year when they lost Tom Parsons and they lost Shemi O'Shea, if they had those two players for the Kildare game, they probably would have survived. Are they all gone? No, I, leave this? the way I look at it is still, Mayo and Kerry are the only two teams that could beat Dublin, but there's about four other teams then that could beat either any yeah. of Mayo or Kerry. Either way, it ends up with Dublin winning the All-Ireland. Super 8 also is largely fixed to well, allow Dublin to have any mistakes I do and think, get through it. Yeah, the whole thing is fixed for Dublin to win. I do, think, I do think one of the most interesting things is outside of that, because obviously it was clear, clearly for Dublin's, but one of the most interesting things outside of that will be the impact of the Super 8 as the years go on. And the Kildare's or the Roscommons over the next few years, do, you know, those floating teams, do Kildare and Roscommon uh, get the benefit of those Super 8s and maintain their position or are those teams floating in and out? Kildare have just lost Daniel Flynn for the year so like you know. forget about them is what you're saying they're out uh, the All-Ireland Hurling Championship forget is the uh, next port of call can Limerick back it up Tip weren't that far off we've just spoken about the uh, managerial dream team in Donegal obviously Liam Sheedy back in there Galway favourites highly possible that a Cork or a Clare jump in here somewhere Nathan what are you thinking? I like Cork I like John Myler like what I saw from them last year they weren't too far away very close I was looking at it and a spread of an extra five points across three games in the Munster whatever it's called uh, league championship um, yeah but whatever the new format is um, would have resulted in three wins whereas mm. it stood it was a loss and two, and two draws yeah and I, mean, that's, I that's, thought they that's were that's the grain, of, the grain of rice isn't it I thought they were probably better than Limerick for well over an hour of that All-Ireland semi-final they just seem to be missing they're missing a bit of steel or something still they seem to win the, I don't want to say the soft games in Munster, but... Shots fired against Cork. The Mayo first day, well, the first day of Cork <laughs> of lacking bottle. Remember the first day against, against Clare? Didn't feel like a Cork, Munster championship game. They, like they ground that out, but... No, I, th- I think Cork are going to win the All-Ireland. Of course there's question marks over, over a character of a team who let that lead slip in an All-Ireland semi-final. Mm. There has to be. Uh, I think Galway are going to win the All-Ireland because you talk about uh, missed opportunities last year. Well, Galway with one of the biggest underperformances by a great team in an All-Ireland final mm. in, in, in the last decade managed to come within a metre of actually getting a replay. And they were the best team year. last summer. Well, they, they weren't. They were, I, in my, like, okay, so when I say best team, I don't mean the team that excited us the most or perhaps got the, the best out of themselves. I think Clare and Limerick were those two teams. But Galway, in terms of just an array of individuals, week after week, you're like, there is quality everywhere. The well, spine of that Galway born, team yeah. is all-time good. Yeah, and no. uh, I, I think they should have done back-to-back all Ireland. So I, the only counter-argument to that is that Tipperary actually have just as good a true, spread of true. individuals. And so this time last year we were like, oh, Tipperary's going to put it together because they haven't in recent seasons. And finally this team is actually going to click. So I think this is the year with Tipperary, with um, Liam Sheedy in charge, are actually going to do it. And I think they're my tip. They're 4-1. to one. 
by the way. Second favourites. Their second favourites are two to one. It's a bit short. Um, they need Jason Ford to do what he did last year. They probably need to unearth a few more players as well. But interesting. Or, or Callan to be fit for the whole year, mm. like, and have one final last season where he's hurler of the year contender. Nobody's talking about Limerick. Nobody thinks that they can. We sort of. It's going to be a Clare 2013 thing. Here is what we're thinking. If they haven't absolutely drank their livers into oblivion over the course of the winter, then they've done it wrong. Well. Keenish doesn't drink. Yeah, uh, treat, good point. <laughs> Earlier of the year, is safe. The piercing lads, uh, you know, been to be to be down. fair, it, it didn't actually seem that way. It does seem that as a team can be equipped mentally to win a back-to-back All Ireland after winning their first one, they seem fairly well set until it's actually in the melting pot. I'd be interested to see. It's just in that monster championship. I think I finished second last, and they might not even be. They might not even have that bad a campaign. Cork Galway. I'm going for Galway as well. Um, obviously, proven they can do it. Unbelievable players, um, the bit of hunger back after last year, and <laughs> did I go for Galway? I thought I went for Tip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you did. They stopped. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, four to one. By the way, that's too short. Tipperary. Price. I yeah. think it's. A, I think. Oh, I think it's a great price. If, as, as second favourites, yeah. Galway are five to two favourites. They should be like seven or eight to one at this point of the season. Like they've got to come through the hardest qualifying thing in any sport mm. in the world. And then they have to play an all-around semi-final and final. <laughs> Without exaggeration, Jerry. Give me the name of a harder thing to come out of. A European qualifiers to the World Cup. Champions Cup pool stages. The, like, if your team... Okay, of that quality. Yeah, okay, come, yeah, on. yeah. come on. No, that's fair come on. Come on. Name one. Like, you're... <laughs> you're like, oh, we're you're really, in this conversation. Uh, I, I don't know, the AFC South? <laughs> or AFC... Is there, <laughs> there's, there's tough divisions. The West in, in, in the NBA is incredibly hard to get out of. The championship. Yeah, actually, the, the world. Yeah. Yeah, we love to get promotion to the championship. 46 games. Promotion to the championship yes. is about, about, about as close. Uh, but like, right, the, here, the final category is Nathan's category, I think. Just Nathan on his own, by all accounts. But do feel free, oh. chaps, to chip in. if Feel free to, uh, to get involved. The uh, Masters and the Open, Nathan. I might start with this one, actually, okay? Okay, sure. We were, we were in the office, and I was like, uh, the winner of this is going to be your man, that guy who's always... Um, What's his name? The guy who's always complaining nobody gives him enough credit for winning. What's his name, the guy who won the majors last year? Brooks Kepka. That's it, that guy. He's going to win it. He's just going to win it. But he's already won three majors. Yeah, so two more this year. I'm going for him for both, both of them. Both of those. 14 to 1 for not the not going to be right about both of them. He's not going to win both of them. I'm going for him for both of them. He's yeah. not going to win both of them. That's how gambling works. Oh, but listen, it's not gambling. Are you sure Brooks Kepka has won in Northern Ireland before on the European Challenge Tour? All right. I'm pretty sure. Is there, has there ever been a more Nathan Murphy comment, more smug effing comment from anybody? I'm pretty sure Brooks Kepka. Are you, though? Are you really? Just saying. Jesus you were actually up there reporting Just saying this, this may have happened. Go on. You were speaking into your little uh, dictaphone with no tape. It's Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth is my tip for the Masters. It has to be. He yeah. is the best player around Augusta we've seen in recent decades. And he's he played it five times. He's finished in the top three, four of those occasions. I think he's played. He's just a boring rounds. choice, though, isn't he? He's the safe, oh, no. boring choice. No, he's got, he's, he's, he's kind of safe or boring around Jordan he, Speed. Here's the thing about Jordan Speed. He, I definitely agree at the start. He, he kind of bored me. Are the rest of that generation just more boring that Jordan Speed seems <laughs> exciting? I think he's just the smartest of them. There's definitely a lot of Brain dead. very boring, just jock. Yeah, beefcake, Kepka, Justin exactly. Thomas. DJ. Dustin Johnson. DJ. Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed's yeah, exciting. They, they're kind of interesting in their own way. Like, uh, Reed is interesting in Patrick that Reed. nobody likes him and he has a the anti-hero personality. Yeah. Dustin Johnson's interesting because he has other interests. 
outside of golf that the issues make them more interesting I, it's impo- I, want go, I want to go on a night out with Dustin Johnson <laughs> last year <laughs> that sounds like more about you <laughs> last year going into the Masters Spieth had done very little and didn't really see him just turning it on to Gusta and then he turns up late after the first round final day 64 gave himself a brilliant chance of winning and just came up short. He's always in contention. Mm. He should have three green jackets at this stage. Safe and boring is what I'm saying to you. I'm not oh, saying he's safe and boring, I'm saying your choice is safe and it's boring. It's going to be a brilliant Masters because you have the storyline of Rory obviously again going for the career Grand Slam. Tiger back. The three of them, Spieth, Tiger, Rory, joint favourites at 10-1. Uh, to Co-favourites. You see, I'd have Spieth a good bit shorter than Rory. And Tiger. So. Tiger's not uh, and and yeah, I would have them uh, have him a good bit shorter. Tiger's than best chance is like a pitch and put uh, open course in England. I've been reminded that Tiger. I've gone for Tiger because I'm not <laughs> safe and I'm not boring, and that's that's why I've gone for Tiger Woods. Yeah, um, really. I mean, uh, unsafe. Option. Oh, look at he's given loads of indications over the last twelve months that, or six months that he's actually back and he can do this thing and he can play and he can compete and he can contend and he can win, and why not? It's stuck together with God's glue, and that we all know what happens. To that. No, I think if he goes God's there is fresh, he powerful knows powerful. every inch of Augusta National, yeah. so he can pick his way around it. And it felt at the end of last year, particularly the way he won at East Lake in the Tour Championship, that there's a little bit, it'll never quite be the same, but a little bit of a fear factor of, maybe this is written in the stars. The other players look at him and think, nah, I can't stand look, look at that old man with his fused neck. I, I don't think Jordan Spieth can feel that sort of emotion. No, Speed won't. That's why Speed will win this. Yeah, I think. I think. He, also, the fact he didn't get invited to the Tournament of Champions. He's an angry man going into the. You don't get invited to the Tournament well, of Champions. Well, you, you play it's your way very, into this. It's a very simple, uh, you play your way simple into way of okay. qualifying. Sorry. Let me, let me re- you win a tournament rephrase. and you get to the Tournament of Champions. He didn't win, he didn't win a tournament, so therefore he doesn't get in. Sure. Yeah, so he's, no. he's there, he's there watching it on television. Yeah, he's, oh, he's collapsed. He's, he's washed up. I this putting wasn't what it was. But yet you're saying 10 to 1 is too much. Yeah, because. He still very nearly went and won the Masters last year, having a really poor season. I think he loved Port Rush as well. Like with Birkdale when he won the Open last. And I'm not, I'm like, all I'm saying is that's a Lynx course and that's a Lynx course. It's a very simple thing to say. And last year was at a Lynx as well. So they're all the Open. You're going Speeds, Masters, Kepka Open. No, no, I'm not no sorry. Kepka um, open. Yeah, you did say it. You did say no, it. I'm pretty I, sure I, you're I, smoking. No, I think, I think. I'm pretty sure you're fine. That's a long way. It's never been played at Port Rush before. None of these players so have played an Open. Like, Tiger. Nice. Did you not just rubbish my... I don't know, you did sort of substantiate it slightly. Like it all depends on the weather, how windy it is up there, but right now I would probably go... Yeah, he went for Garcia for the I Open, know. apparently. Did I? <laughs> Shit. Sergio. Sergio's who I'm calling. Sergio. I fully believe that Sergio's going to win the Open. Jesus Christ. I went for Brooks, but uh, Tiger I could accept. I think there's a... If he's going to win anything, it's Sergio Garcia's going to win the Open at Port Rush. Why? I, I mean, because he said it earlier on. And he he has the him, monkey no. off his back with a major. He's uh, settling into married life. And, and how has he done in major since that monkey has come off his back? He's done very little, but you see, Link's course, you know, rub it in Harrington's face. Rory's going to do it. Rory's going to get the open and he's going to come back on and remind us all in Europe about uh, what this amazing talent is all about. Who, who are you going for? Well, I kind of went for the, the Gilroy technique of just picking speed for both of them. All right, yeah. shoot for boring, the stars, boring, land boring, on the moon. Boring and stays. Uh, speed, stays. I, no, I gave a reason why speed's going to win uh, the uh, open as well, because that's the Link's course. Which is uh, very unusual for the Open. <laughs> any final random predictions for 2019? You can draw out particularly if you get any more wildness. You might get a full three hours out of a Friday show some morning. <laughs> <laughs> right, that is it. From Thanks very much for getting up so early in the morning, lads, and coming well, in. You're anytime. Absolute well, saints for doing this. Thanks for having us. really appreciate it. Myself and Owen are off to uh, change our jumpers for the next segment, which I believe is going to be sensational.
Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, congratulations to Nathan Murphy. You were into our third hour this morning, so a very happy new year to you. That is our lot this morning from OTBAM. And congratulations before we leave you to our competition winners. First of all, Stephen Elliott, congratulations to you. He got in touch to say, big worries ahead for Leinster without Sexton, Henshaw and Kearney. If true that Devin Toner and Dan Levy is out, it's a big ask for the defending champions. It certainly is. And Adam James is our other winner. He got in touch to say, when I was 14, I put the ball down on the five-metre line and celebrated, thinking I'd scored a try. The opposition picked up the ball, ran the length of the pitch and scored. They won by a couple of points. Uh, Adam James and Stephen Elliott, you're both off to enjoy Leinster versus Toulouse tomorrow afternoon. And for anyone who can't make it, it is live, of course, on Off the Ball, on the radio, on News Talk from 1 o'clock. Ulster versus Racing is also live on the same station from quarter past five. Then on Sundays Off the Ball, Stephen Doyle and Kevin Kilban are at Everton versus Bournemouth. And the big one, it's Nathan Murphy and Gary Breen uh, and uh, Brian Kerr, actually, uh, at Wembley for Spurs uh, against Manchester United. We're back on Monday morning from 7.45am Alan Quinlan will be with us reviewing the weekend's rugby action. Mike Carlson will look back at the NFL games. And we'll also have plenty of reaction, as I say, for Manchester United uh, against Spurs or Spurs against Manchester United and all the weekend's Premier League action. We'll chat to you on Monday morning. Bye-bye for now. So, if you like this, you'll probably also like OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45 a.m.